How's that for a slice of fried gold? Are you thinking this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. I'll be back. Just a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm sorry, Ben. I can't do that. It's a lion, it's a lion, it's a lion. I guess everyone's a title one good scare. Well, hello, and welcome to Cinema Shock. This is a podcast that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna try that again? I'm ready now. Have you, ever heard, have you ever heard? You ever heard anybody's energy crash? Hard? I know. Just, 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 <laughs> just bring like, a little Whoa! more energy. Oh, I don't have the intro pulled up, and now I'm going to be ad libbing it, and I'm going to screw it up. It's and, right at uh, the top of the notes. <laughs> okay, I think I got it together now, and we, we, we have fun. We have fun. That should be Sam. That should be the title of this. Actually, Sam Raimi. We have we fun. Have, we have, we have we fun. fun. <laughs> uh, well, hello, and welcome to Cinema Shock, the podcast exploring the stories behind your favorite cult and genre films. We do all the research so that you don't have to. We're the three guys that tell you everything you need to know about your favorite movies and the people who made them, so that the next time you're caught up in a nerdy movie conversation, not only will you know what is going on, you might actually be the expert. I'm one of your hosts, Gary Horn. I'm your other host, film historian, Justin Bishop. And I'm a goody two-shoes, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Welcome to part five of our look back at the career of one of the most fun filmmakers in our series titled Sam Raimi, The Entertainer. Do you remember, this I, This literally just came to me just now, and I can't remember if I've said this before, but do you remember we went to that book signing with Bruce Campbell yeah, Todd, you wrote yeah. like a whole thing pitching yourself for Ash. I don't remember that. I didn't pitch myself as Ash, but I pitched something. I forget what. You were talking and... about the Evil Dead because I remember you mentioned martial arts background and like you just wrote him like a whole like I wrote, letter. Yeah, in yeah. The... like I you handed it to him. You wrote a yeah. letter and handed it to him. Yeah, yep. he'd never read that. I guarantee you, Todd. No, oh, no, no, that went right <laughs> into the trash. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get shit like that. I was a little, all the I was, time. yeah, I was starstruck. I was absolutely starstruck. He's, he's, uh, he's very cool. Like, he's everything you want Bruce Campbell to be. He is, yeah, he is. Uh, that's why Ash, I think, and we'll talk about this obviously as we talk about this, this episode, but, um, I think that's what makes Ash so, such a memorable character. Oh, is yeah. that this is especially in this version of Ash in this movie? This is just Bruce Campbell playing Bruce Campbell, like yeah. the character that he's playing here. Other than him being, I'm not saying Bruce Campbell is like a coward like Ash is or anything, but that like <laughs> that smart ass smarminess that he has in this movie, like that's who Bruce Campbell kind of is in real life. Unless yeah. he's just playing a character during all of his public uh, appearances, which is also possible. I did wonder Maybe. like what he's like when he's like out like at home in his yeah. cabin or whatever, um, like in Oregon or wherever he's at. Yeah, that. and he's just like hanging out with his wife. Like, what's he act like? Like real? his wife comes in and he's he's just like, "Give me some sugar, baby," and she yeah. just rolls her eyes. Yep, that's probably how it goes. <laughs> Packs her bags and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he does have that great like personality that like even uh, well, if you get a commentary that Bruce Campbell's on, you know it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I remember the Spider-Man video game for the movie that came out, and like in that video game, he does the narration for the tutorial 
for <laughs> Spider-Man. And it's nice. amazing. Like yeah. I would just do the tutorial just because Bruce Campbell's like walking you through everything. Nice. <laughs> so uh, we mentioned this briefly during our, our Dark Man episode, our last episode that we did for Sam Raimi. Uh, but the origins of a third Evil Dead movie began not long after Evil Dead 2 was complete, uh, as is often the case in filmmaking. Raimi had several ideas for a follow-up to Evil Dead 2, uh, different movies he was kind of throwing around. And one of those uh, gained traction faster than the others. And the one that did that just happened to be Darkman. That's why Darkman got made before Evil Dead 3. But after Darkman's success, uh, and, and it was especially successful in the home video market, uh, Raimi had all the tools and, more importantly, the allies that he needed to get his next film off the ground. And thus, the third film in the Evil Dead trilogy was born. Uh, the resulting film is one of the most beloved of Raimi's career, maybe the most beloved of Raimi's career, I think. And for many people, it was their introduction to the world of Sam Raimi. I think this is probably my first Sam Raimi movie that I ever saw. Yeah, I think uh, me too. Yeah, yeah. The film we are discussing is, of course, Evil Dead 3, or as it would eventually be titled, Army of Darkness. In an age of darkness. May God have mercy upon your soul. At a time of evil. You shall die! When the world needed a hero, what it got was him. Groovy. You know your shoelace is untied. He's a 20th century guy trapped in the Middle Ages. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Foretold by a mystical book. Forewarned by a wise man. You must recite the words, Klaatu, Berata, Nictu. I got it, I got it. Fulfilled by a wise guy. Klaatu, Berata, Nictu. Now, he's got a date. Give me some sugar, baby. With the army of darkness. You found me beautiful once. Honey, you got real ugly. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my spoiler warning. You can find this movie in a bunch of different places, and you should have watched it by now. That's right. This podcast was made in Greenville County, South Carolina. Retails for, well, it's free. It's got some questionable jokes well-researched material, and hairy hosts. That's right. Shop shock. Shop cinema shock. You got that? <laughs> uh, I was really thinking you were going to do the primitive screw heads bit for your Johnny has the keys at the end. Uh, uh, no, like, I got some, I've got something. These else are my mind. keys. That's where I, I really, <laughs> yeah. that, that would have been uh, good. That would have been good. Yeah, In an well, alternate universe. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> Yeah. I, speaking of alternate universes, I was literally like, while you were saying all of the intro part there, I was like, there's an alternate inter, uh, universe where uh, Sam Raimi just falls in love with Liam Neeson and he comes into Army of Darkness. <laughs> and, like yeah. all of those lines. Yeah. And I was literally picturing the lines like Todd was just uh, parodying. Like, it's just like him doing that. Everyone. He would have been a great Lord Arthur. Stick. All right, yeah. you primitive school heads, listen up. <laughs> exactly he should have played eric the red yeah but you're right oh, i mean I know he's irish not scottish but americans can't tell the difference yeah <laughs> <They never know. laughs> all right so if you listen to our evil dead 2 episode and hopefully if you're this far into this fam Raimi series that you have listened to the evil dead 2 episode yeah. uh, but if you listen to that then you know that one way that sam Raimi 
Rob Tapert and Bruce Campbell, a.k.a. the Michigan Mafia, uh, managed to convince movie mogul Dino De Laurentiis to help fund the film is by showing him the overseas box office numbers for the first Evil Dead movie. Because see, for Dino, overseas numbers were often an indicator of success, whether or not the film performed well here in the States. Well, it turns out Evil Dead 2 did very well overseas. Uh, and impressed by the film's performance, De Laurentiis offered to provide funding for a third film that picked up where the second film ended, which was with Ash landing uh, in the year 1300, back in medieval times. And then when Darkman proved to be successful, Universal uh, Pictures, they actually offered to put up half of the budget for a third Evil Dead film, effectively sharing the risk with De, De Laurentiis. Uh, unlike some of their previous films, getting the next Evil Dead film greenlit and funded was relatively easy for uh, Ramey Tapert and Campbell. The starting budget for this film was $8 million. I mean, much lower than Darkman. I think Darkman was like 14, right? But that's mm. 22.8 times the budget of the first Evil Dead. It's uh, roughly half of what we make doing this show. Is that right? Uh, that's Gary's joke. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, I got in trouble for using that joke too many times. <laughs> well, we'll just shift it over to me. I, that's fine. That's fine. No, it's, no, it's on Todd. Well, that that budget would eventually be raised to closer to about $12 million by the time all was said and done. The script for Evil Dead 3 was co-written by Raimi and his brother Ivan, who you may remember helped him with the screenplay for Dark Man. Uh, in fact, much of the script was written during the pre-production and production periods of Dark Man. And by the time Evil Dead 3 was ready to roll, they already had a pretty good idea of what the movie was going to look like. Well, remember, uh, this, this is an idea they had back all the way at the first one, Erwin Shapiro had... Uh, helped them pitch Medieval Dead. This was something they had been kicking around for a long time. It wasn't just like brand new. They had thought of it back at the original. And then Dino, if you recall, and Evil Dead 2, like he wasn't going to pay for all of that shit. So he just wanted to keep it in the cabin in the woods. Yeah, um, I think it was less of a not wanting to pay for it and more just wanting to repeat a successful formula. Yeah, that's true. And uh, in the original draft, apparently, like they, they had like some other stuff. I was reading a little bit about it. Like uh, Ash loses an eye. Uh, it doesn't go to the medieval times until like the second half. Huh. Um, and so, like, there was going to be like a bigger budget recap of uh, Evil Dead One and Two, and uh, which I don't know why you would do, but uh, <laughs> since we've already seen it twice, and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was going to show more with like Ash's personal life, like stuff with him in college and then working at S Mart. And I said, uh, Ramey wrote the script this way because he didn't think that he would get the funding again, initially to make the big budget thing that he had in mind. So he made it more low budget indie style was his thought. And uh, it would be like a standalone partial remake and then some new fun stuff. Anyway, but once they were pretty excited once it got greenlit and got a straightforward like sequel sequel. So he was going to do the Evil Dead 2 thing where he recaps the first film, only he was originally going to recap one and two again. Yeah, he was he was apparently <laughs> going to recap them again. I mean, it does recap it, but it does it very quickly in a way that, you know, gets the point across. Because let's let's face it, the first two Evil Dead movies, not big on plot. Not a whole lot that you really, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to be, to get caught up if you're coming into Army of Darkness, having not seen those movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know they reshot, like they were, uh, I, I think they, they were having trouble at first about getting the footage from Evil Dead 2, almost like what they had with the first one, but they, they got it. But then they had to like that shot with uh, Bruce cutting his arm off again is reshot because mm -hmm. like the pacing of 
Evil Dead 2, like it didn't work with it didn't work for the quick recap. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. And of course, if you've listened to our episodes on both Evil Dead 2 and Darkman, then you know that some of Raimi's biggest battles on those films were with the executives at their respective studios, which in the case of Evil Dead 2 is pretty much just Dino De Laurentiis himself. But for the third film, they had a couple of things going for him. For one, the film was going to shoot in California, which is very far from Dino's studios and offices in North Carolina. Because before they were like three hours away, which was just far enough away for Dino for it to be a little bit annoying to get there. Uh, But now they're on the opposite side of the country. They're 3,000 miles away. And Universal putting up just half of what was, in studio terms, a relatively low budget meant that they were less inclined to fiddle with the film while it was in production. Now, while it was in post-production, it's a different story. We'll get to that later. Of course, that does not mean that this was all going to be smooth sailing during the shoot. Uh, Army of Darkness, which is, I, I, it's not called Army of Darkness yet during this pr- part of the production, but I'm just going to call it that because it's less confusing. Uh, it was known as Evil Dead 3, I think, all the way through the shoot. But it was pretty ambitious in scope for a film of its budget. Uh, which meant that the production had to cut costs in any way that they could so that as much of their budget as possible would be up there on the screen. This meant that a lot of the principal players, including Raimi, Campbell, and Tapert, took pay cuts. Uh, It also meant that the production became a non-union job because uh, with a non-union job, they don't have to pay union minimum fees, basically, so they're able to get cheaper labor, (laughs) essentially. Of course, being non-union comes with its own headaches because it limits who you can hire, and often it even limits like where you can film. There are some, you know, you can't film just on a regular like studio backlot if you're doing non-union because they require those to be union gigs. So there are its own headaches by by making this non-union, but it did save them a few bucks. I it's know, kind uh, of it's kind of interesting that you know they were kind of making this move to go back to something that they were familiar with, and it's kind of like okay, great. You also get everything that goes with it. There's yeah. definitely like, like you just like y'all remember how hard evil dead was to make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like, Oh, we don't have to worry about the unions or anything. Yeah. You don't have to deal with unions, which means that comes with its own headaches, just mm-hmm. like you just finished saying. And it, yeah, there's definitely two sides to those coins for sure. Worth mentioning too, just on a side note, meant to mention earlier that uh, poor Irvin Shapiro, he passed away like two years right before this. Uh, yeah. You know, and I just thought he was a big part of this whole story. He he taught these guys a lot of stuff. And so he, uh, unfortunately, this is the first uh, Evil Dead movie. He's not going to get credited as a producer on. Yeah, they um, dedicated the film to him. So yeah, I think even the twenty. The yeah, I think even the twenty thirteen Evil Dead. They have like a, um, a special thanks for him in there yeah. too. I mean, uh, he is largely responsible for Sam Raimi's entire career. Let's be honest, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes me wonder if um, the reason they used the title Army of Darkness was just as like an homage to him because it was his idea because. As we will discuss later, using the the name Army of Darkness as opposed to Evil Dead Three did not do the movie any favors. To what we were originally, uh, before I went off on that tangent, uh, the Howard Berger, who's working on special effects, we'll get to. He he definitely says at one point he was like, "If I were Union during the filming of this movie, I would be a multimillionaire." Are <laughs> <laughs> uh, all men from the future loud mouth braggarts? Nope. Just me, baby. Just me. For Raimi, Tapert, and Campbell, working on a new Evil Dead film felt a bit like going back to their roots. Despite this technically being a quote-unquote Hollywood film, uh, there was a certain desire between the three of them to do things the old-fashioned way, the way that they had done growing up, 
Or as Campbell put it in his autobiography, Army of Darkness became the awkward challenge of reconciling high school with Hollywood, which I think is a perfect way to put it. Well, one of the ways that they tried to make this feel more like that little 16 millimeter film that had launched their careers was to surround themselves with some familiar faces. Uh, if you look at the list of fake shimps in the credits on this one, I think this has more fake shimps than maybe any other Sam Raimi movie. It's, it's half. It's practically it's like half the cast it, list. It, it, I didn't count, but it looks like. 35 people yeah, like it really, yeah. it really does <laughs> but if you look at those uh, if you go on imdb and scroll all the way to the bottom uh you'll see all these fake shimps listed and you'll you're gonna see a few familiar names listed there folks like uh josh becker uh bruce campbell's father charlie is there uh bruce campbell's brother don mm-hmm. yeah director have, have you guys seen his uh have you guys seen his imdb photo yeah 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 I, killer I, mustache great mustache rocking a kilt the is dude he looks wearing like a kilt? an absolute yeah he's wearing a kilt is that a kilt that is a kilt yes. wow uh i can't oh uh, yeah i guess you're it is a kilt i mean he looks, looks like, like an a, absolute pimp he he looks less like a pimp and more like a dad at a ren fair honestly it's, <laughs> because i'm pretty sure that's exactly what's going on yeah, in this photo yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, either that or his wife normally dresses like a tavern wench uh, is this Don Campbell? Oh yeah, Don Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, brother, I do like that mustache though. It's a good mustache. That's it's, a solid Bruce's, mustache. Charlie, Bruce, Charlie Campbell, Bruce's dad. If you look at a picture of him, he looks like Bruce Campbell, but eighty years old or whatever. Like he, wow. but in the face, they look just alike. Um, other fake shimps included Bill Lustig, uh, who we we I think we discussed on Darkman. He was like a dock worker, an uncredited dock worker. He had a little cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even Bernard Rose. The director who had just released Candyman is a fake shimp here, and I don't I don't know what the Bernard Rose Sam Raimi connection here is. Honestly, I'm not really sure what the Sam Raimi Bill Lustig connection is, but there's obviously something something there because in between Evil Dead two and three, Bruce Campbell's made two Maniac Cop movies with this guy, so there's some kind of connection there. Maybe they just became bu- buddies. I don't know. Yeah, another one of their old Michigan buddies got a real role uh, and one with a an actual on screen credit. Uh, not a not a, an actual name, but uh, at least a real credit. Uh, his name's Tim Quill, and Tim Quill had been one of their high school buddies who'd appeared in some of those Super 8 movies that they had made, and he had recently moved to the West Coast, hoping to give it a go at professional acting. Uh, he didn't have a SAG card yet, uh, but Raimi cast him as the blacksmith, which is the guy who helps Ash build his robotic arm. Uh, he helps him, I think, build the death coaster thing towards mm-hmm. the end. He's also, mm-hmm. you know, he's the first to swear allegiance to Ash after his like rousing speech before the finale. The the Lord of the Rings and my axe scene uh, right, right. That, that appears in this movie that I swear to God, Peter Jackson ripped off from this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not only that, but Peter Jackson ripped off the entire siege on the castle for the two towers. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. I never thought about it. But yeah, that's definitely true. It's got to be. Absolutely. Um, there's no way that Peter Jackson's not a Sam Raimi fan. Go watch Brain Dead, and there's proof of that. <laughs> yeah. Ted Raimi says, like, literally, like, I do ha- you'll have my steel or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But Tim Quill's got a great look for this as the blacksmith. I was going to say, yeah. the thing with him is, it's like he was apparently like the good looking one in high school. You know, you wouldn't think like, of him is that he was apparently a swimmer and like the jock and like just the stud and mm. uh he had mm. moved out to california to see what he could do and he showed up for the auditions for this and they're like oh holy shit it's him and they're like uh seeing him and he like shaved his head and then there was like i shaved my head for this uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll shave my whole body 
if you want me to. <laughs> and they're like, it's fine. It's fine. You're in. It's fine. Yeah. And, I think they uh, liked his enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. That's and, actually, uh, that was actually in the letter that I wrote to Bruce Campbell was I'll, I'll shave, <laughs> I'll shave my whole body for this. <laughs> I'll shave my whole body for you, Bruce. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he, he's going to end up, I mean, if you look up his credits, like he doesn't have a, like a, it's all like little bit parts here, there pretty much. I think everything Sam Raimi's done since this, uh, yeah. he's been somewhere. I mean, that role, the role in this is pretty significant. I mean, even though oh, his yeah. character doesn't have a name, like he is all over this movie and he's fun. Uh, and, and he uh, he did get his SAG card, by the way, because of this movie. So he became nice. an official member of the Screen Actors Guild by getting cast in a non-union movie. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. So Ash himself was, of course, once again, played by Bruce Campbell. If there was never any question about his return. I don't think this movie would have gotten made otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. And Campbell, you know, he got he got a hold of the script from Raimi. Uh, Raimi let him read it. And he really liked it because uh, he says that it made Ash a lot more fun. And it allowed him to get out of situations by talking, by using his mouth rather than just blowing someone away with a shotgun. Although, obviously, there's plenty of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> It just hit me too. I'm sorry that I'm getting off on, on tangents here, but Ted Raimi is in Candyman too. Is he? Yeah, he's at the beginning when they're telling the story of Candyman, and it's like the guy comes over and he's like, Ted plays like the jock cool guy with the greaser hair and the leather jacket. Sure, and very he believable. Come, <laughs> and he, but he comes over and is like, the girl goes upstairs and wants to do the Candyman thing in the mirror, and he's like, "You're nah, right." He's where he's dressed like Danny Zuko, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, "I'm not doing this," and he goes back down and sits there. But then it's like she does it and gets killed, and he finds her, and his hair supposedly You're turns right. white or something I like that. I completely forgot that that was Ted Raimi, and I just wa- I've watched that movie <laughs> within the last year. I guess I just for- completely forgot about that. It's super weird. I don't. I-, I was trying to like while we were talking, just figure out what the connection is to it. You know, I see like in his IMDb, it says good friends with Sam and Ted Raimi, but I don't know why. Anyway, huh. all right. Bernard Rose. Let's talk about Bruce Campbell for a second. Uh, if you don't know who that is, he's been in. We've seen him a few times. We, <laughs> <laughs> Literally every. This is episode five. I think, yeah, this is series, five. So yeah. in, in the last five movies. Yeah, no, he was he was the definite. And uh, he says uh, in, in a couple of interviews, this is as physically as good as he'll ever be as an actor. Like he <laughs> had to learn how to ride a horse and do Oof. combat. And he didn't learn the horse riding very well, though, he says he was. Losing uh, at the uh, what the stuntman apparently called the ass saddle battle. Yeah, <laughs> he couldn't keep his ass on the saddle. Like, in, uh, yeah, I think he was pretty <laughs> thankful for that cape covering up the fact that he was bouncing all over the place. On yeah, that. he says it definitely was the only uh, uh, thing that saved him from not looking like an idiot. Uh, yeah. compared to everybody else. But the other crew members, he said, you know, while they were used to like riding the horses and stuff, he was also like, he said, this movie like made him very jaded to actors in general that like <laughs> complain or bitch about anything because this movie was horrific to make he said this crew was used to like tea and shakespeare and he's like we taught them a new craft of filmmaking in this one and <laughs> so in an interview he said that this was the most uncomfortable film in the history of motion pictures and he says that any other any other actor who complains on any other movie can quote kiss my ass loud and hard <laughs> <That's what> he, <laughs> wow he did he did eventually uh, learn to ride a horse because right after this, he gets cast in Briscoe County Junior, The Adventures of Briscoe uh, County yeah. Junior, where, of course, which is a Western, a kind of sci-fi Western. Yeah. But uh, he's obviously on a horse 
all the time in that one. So he, he does eventually learn to ride a horse. He, he's just, he's a kid from Detroit. You know, why would he need, yeah. need to know how to ride a horse? No, but uh, he does eventually learn how to. He probably came in handy on Jack of all trades as well. And Zeno. yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> that, that, that show was super fun too, man. Yeah. He's got a fun little career. We'll talk about yeah, it more. Let's for talk sure. Campbell. <laughs> Well, most of the remaining cast consisted of actors who were newcomers to the franchise. Uh, first up, we've got Ian Abercrombie, who is probably best known as Mr. Pitt on Seinfeld. Yes. He was cast as the wise man. Uh, and before Army of Darkness, he had already played the character of Merlin four times. So needless to say, he was pretty well equipped for this role. Jeez. Yeah, he was well equip- equipped for it, but Campbell says like he definitely had no idea what was going on. He didn't know <laughs> what kind of movie they were making. Yeah, he was like, this guy's used to theater, and now he's like interacting with talking skeletons that are just yeah. like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> he's just like, said he, he played, it was a good sport, though. He said he, he, he was, uh, you know, amused by everything, just kind of <laughs> smiled and did his job. <laughs> Well, cast as the film's King Arthur figure, who's named Lord Arthur in the film, was a British actor named Marcus Gilbert. Uh, Gilbert had been a staple on British television for most of his career, including a stint on Doctor Who during the Sylvester McCoy years. Nice. Uh, Sylvester McCoy, I believe, is the one with the little little white hat, right? Yeah, hat. and he's got he's got the the umbrella. He's got the umbrella that has the number question mark for seven. The... Seventh Doctor. I think it was six. Mm. Somebody's, somebody's going to have to let us know or we're going to have to get, Google it. Get in the comments. <laughs> get in the comments, people. <laughs> anyway, Army of Darkness was Gilbert's second feature film. Uh, his first was in Rambo 3, where he plays a Soviet army pilot uh, who gets killed, of course, by Rambo. Ah. <laughs> as, as almost every Soviet in that movie does. Of course. <laughs> An actor named Richard Grove was cast as Duke Henry the Red. Uh, Grove is an interesting dude. I really like, he, he does a lot of interviews about Army of Darkness because this is probably the biggest thing that he's ever done, at least as far as the significance of his role within the film. Not necessarily mm-hmm. the biggest movie he's ever done. But he uh, attended the Yale School of Drama, which is very prestigious. He was actually classmates with the likes of Angela Bassett and John Turturro. Uh, he received his master's degree in acting from Yale in 1983. Then he moved to New York City. Uh, then he began mostly working in regional theater. I think he ended up somewhere in the middle of the country for a while doing some regional theater before moving to Los Angeles to kind of try to break into film. And if you look at his credits, most of his early credits were in guest star roles on TV shows like Jake and the Fat Man and Matlock and several other shows that your grandmother watched when you were a kid. Uh, <laughs> his first film credit was the in 1991 in Catherine Bigelow's Point Break, where he played an FBI agent by the name of Cullen. Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Okay. And since Army of Darkness, he's continued to have a steady career in both film, television, and a lot of voice work. So he's still working pretty steadily. My favorite yes. thing about it is that uh, apparently old Ricky Grove and Marcus Gilbert actually became the best of friends and are still friends to this day. Uh, even though a they're romance. Yeah, nice. they had a little romance. They said they became very competitive and they were like, even though they lived far away, but they have like drinking games and like running competitions and stuff. And they would like <laughs> call and brag about to each other, like the stuff they did, you know, that kind of thing you you picture like two manly men doing or something but uh (laughs) anyway it just goes to show you that sometimes uh army of darkness is not just making a movie so the real army of darkness is the friends you make along the way yeah (laughs) 
cast in the role of Sheila, who's Ash's love interest this time around, was a South African actress named M. Beth Davids. Uh, this is actually her first American film, but she would later have roles in films like Schindler's List with Liam Neesham, uh, Bridget Jones's Diary, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I can't remember which girl with the dragon tattoo, though, and I should have written that down. I don't know if it was the David Fincher yeah, one or the original I meant, one. I meant to I ask think, you. I think it was the Swedish one, but I'm not 100% sure. So mm-hmm. don't quote me on that or don't tweet at me. Is Twitter still a thing? Twitter's still around. Mm-hmm. It's still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, still, here. Still, yeah. still kicking. But she's also had some recurring roles on TV shows like In Treatment, Mad Men, Ray Donovan, and The Morning Show, which is very recent. So she's still doing a lot of work these days. She's the one that like uh, everybody says like when she walked in, she was clearly the best actor. She's the one that, you know, every word she spoke, you perked up. She was the real deal. But the way Ka- uh, Campbell tells it is like with guys like Dito, though, you have to prevent or you have to present multiple people to mm-hmm. him. And uh, so they'll because he'll, he'll say like uh, uh, Dito literally says like, where are my fucking choices? You know, what? Like Tony does, he, does he sound like Sean Connery? <laughs> I was trying to do Tony Soprano again. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it leaned a little to uh, Sean Connery that time, but it's well, all right. Gotta go more nasal, more na- uh, nasal, nasally. Yeah, yeah, there you fucking go. Choices. Yeah, you got yeah. That's, There you go. You nailed it. <laughs> Professional writer, comedian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> acting, uh, acting coach. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Voice director, <laughs> voice director. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Anyway, so Bruce Campbell said they like very obviously grabbed another girl that was completely wrong that had that like, how old are you, governor? She was a blonde with big tits is what yeah. she was. That's but what she Nina was a blonde with. Yeah, she had a big, big boobs and a big butt, they said, but she definitely had the cockney like. How are you? What are you doing? Now we gonna do anything today? Man? She just sounds like she just sounds like one of the Monty Pythons playing a woman. They <laughs> uh, said when they presented it, she ends up being the one that Dino starts favoring, and they're of like, no, "No, no, no, Dino, please. she's the shimp." <laughs> uh, but she yeah. said they said Beth was the hard sell because she didn't have you know the curves. Honor. Right, that and, Dino uh, likes. Yeah, and uh, Campbell says, like, let's not forget, Dino has been married to multiple Italian actresses. That, um, you know, I don't know. I'm not Dino. I don't know what he's looking at. I'm just saying, just look at him and he's, he's, take he's a look at type. Yeah, he's got a type. <laughs> so he said they actually ended up doing a second screen test with Ed Beth, put her in a corset, pushing her stuff into places and uh <laughs> and ended up winning the fight but they nice. got, got her in there it was, uh, a, it was a challenge it sounds Campbell like says this is what you this is what you do you trade them in the b movies then you send them out in the world <laughs> <laughs> i love that and of course there is the familiar face of sam's younger brother ted ramey who's appeared in i think everything now since crime wave right at least in some small role he wasn't in the first evil dead i don't think was he oh no he played fucking henrietta right so he is. He's been in all of these as well, yeah. Ted Raimi. Well, that's Evil yeah. Dead 2, right? Oh, that is Evil Dead 2. You're right. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess just starting. I with, mean, he might have been a shimp for all I know. Yeah, he was probably a shimp, but he was he was like 20 years old in Evil Dead 2. So he would have been like a teenager, like 15 or something oh, in, the, yeah. in the first Evil Dead. So he probably wasn't allowed to go live in the woods for six months with his older <laughs> brother and his friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, here Ted Raimi is credited in no less than four roles in the film. He is credited as the cowardly warrior, the second supportive villager, Anthony the S Mart clerk, and skeleton voices. He does a lot of skeleton voices. He does the one that says, <laughs> "Let's get the hell out of here." That's like right uh, up in the camera. That's that's Ted Raimi, uh, among <laughs> others. 
<laughs> What's funny is they act like Sam did not know he was doing this. I, I remember an interview with somebody on the credits that said they were there. That well, you know, it's talking about how every movie has Bruce, the car, and Ted, or Amy, but uh, like. Ted just like would submit himself into like just like put himself into position like go into makeup get something and then go somewhere and then like uh, <laughs> it said like uh, he would be next to like Lord Arthur and be saying like we should flee and, uh, and they said like the very next scene he's like in there like you sh- you should have my steel and they said like Sam like actually called cut on that one it was like Ted brother you were literally you were just a coward. <laughs> and now you're like the second guy to yeah he's like what yeah they said so they sent him back to makeup to change his look up a little makeup. bit so it wasn't clearly the same guy even though it takes place like literally 90 seconds after the other one. <laughs> um and we should not forget the lovely bill mosley as the deadite captain oh yeah this movie. you can't really tell he's uh, unrecognizable i mean he's under mm-hmm. a lot of makeup he's the one that kind of he's kind of evil ashes like right hand man he's got the eye patch yeah yeah and wears that like horned helmet, I think. And, yeah, yeah. Um, he had he had seen Evil Dead too, and he thought, in his words, "This is the greatest thing I've ever seen." Yeah. And uh, so he Accurate. said he made uh, what he called a scorpion vow. He said, "I don't know. I'm a Scorpio. I don't really know what a scorpion vow is, but I did that. I'm a Scorpio. I, was gonna... and I have no idea what a scorpion vow is." <laughs> and he said he, but he made that scorpion vow that he was going to be in the next Evil Dead movie. And uh, so he sent a letter. We've seen this before too with uh, oh, Mark uh, Showstrom. Yeah, Showstrom. Uh, he sent a letter to Sam, who was working on Darkman at the time, and said, Hey, uh, I'm Bill Mosley. I played Chop Top, and I would love to be in your next Evil Dead movie. And Sam, like, apparently got back to him and said, Hey, I actually really love Chop Top, and uh, I need you to come in for an audition. And uh, so they brought him in, and he apparently uh, they just asked him if he could do an English accent. So he did that, and they uh, and he recited the Jabberwocky. Apparently, <laughs> oh wow! And, and they're like, "All right, you're in. Let's go." I love Bill Mosley. That's that's one of those guys that of all the, these guys who do like these conven- the convention circuit, the horror convention circuit. I think mm-hmm. Bill Mosley is pretty close to the top of my list of people that I would want to like meet at one of those because yeah. I've already met Bruce Campbell. <laughs> but Bill, yeah. so Bill Mosley is way up there because he just seems like a fun dude, like a really nice dude for a guy who plays so many horrific characters. He just seems like a nice guy. I don't know. Rob Zombie, I feel like all those people that are in the Rob Zombie movies yeah. generally are like the most fun cult movie actors. Like, yeah, just... including Rob Zombie himself, who just, well, that's what across... I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, they <laughs> all seem like the guys who are just very appreciative of uh, girls uh, that are just uh, appreciative of like having the career that they have, like just being yeah. these, you know, some people could look at some of these cult things. You'll, you'll see like in Beth, like, I think she she has some issues on this movie but like she wasn't sure about it but she ha- she like later said like she came to appreciate just how much people seem to love the fact that she was in army of darkness so she's like yeah. learn to appreciate it and, sure uh, so anyway it's just interesting uh bill mosley you're right seems like a great guy well while we're on the subject of the cast of this film i think that's a good time to pass the baton over to mr todd a davis Yay! to see who we're trekking with this week what you got oh. todd Oh, we got uh, quite a few. A lot of uh, really uh, prominent actors have uh, made uh, quite a few appearances. Let's get right into it. We've got Rad Milo, which, as a note, coolest Great name. name. Great that name. Is a, I, in <laughs> fact, I would actually like to start doing a little award 
if Kurt will make a note of the different awards for coolest name in the cast, <laughs> first one is going to Rad Milo. We don't um, have a budget, by the way, for actual to, awards. So yeah, no or, or, or to pay Kurt to do any of this. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Fun fact about Rad Milo, his twin brother's name is Dumb Milo. <laughs> mm. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm serious, Todd. Yeah, that's a real fact. See, I would have gone with like bogus hell? Milo. Oh, that's some... better. Shitty Milo. <laughs> shitty Milo. <laughs> I like shitty Milo. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Rad Milo is one of the tower guards, and he was in 11 episodes of Next Gen, uh, including Tapestry, which is season six, episode 15. That's actually TNG's Christmas Carol. Oh. Uh, and then episodes directed by Patrick Stewart, LeVar Burton, and Gates McFadden. Wow. And he, he's playing uh, uncredited roles in all of these. Uh, yeah, just a you know guy you know pushing buttons in the background. Yeah, that's, red, that's the thing. red shirts. Yeah, yeah, very much. Even if they're wow, not a red shirt like in that episode, they will eventually be. Are <laughs> we sure I mean, Rad is not shitty Milo? <laughs> <laughs> he might be. It's uh, Rad, quote unquote, shitty Milo. <laughs> that's the irony of it. Shitty Milo is actually a cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's an award-winning director. <laughs> Then we got uh, Bruce Thomas as Mini Ash number two. He was in three episodes of Star Trek Enterprise. That was season three, episodes 22, 23, and 24. Episode 23 was actually directed by Robert Duncan McNeil, a.k.a. Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. And then we've got Jerry Rector, who's Mini Ash number three. Rector? Um, I hardly know him. Ah, there it is. That's all the time we have. Uh, But he was in an episode of Next Gen uh season three episode 18 allegiance that was in 1990 then uh, uh we important mentioned- important side note were these were these regular sized roles <laughs> <laughs> they are all playing aliens so yeah, who knows yeah but uh yeah oh you mean uh wait regular sized roles or b- because they all play mini ash that's the joke okay because they got the joke, they got God. the little they got the little chairs but the cha- the the small chairs that, that say i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you chair. something really quick not to step on todd's segment but real life i remember when i was a kid and willow came out you had like Val Kilmer, who's like regular dude, and you had uh, what's his face? That's Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis, yeah, who's yeah. who's a little person, Willow. who's Willow, who's the main yeah. character. But they treat it like different races of people, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like hobbits, had, yeah. And then you had the brownies, and they were even tinier. They were like little, like mini ash sized people. And there was an interview on like I don't know, it was like Entertainment Tonight or something. But they did it. Like they showed them like they were interviewing via satellite and the brownies were like actual size. And in my little kid brain, which is not much different than now, but I watched it and I was like, holy shit, they're really that size. Like this is like little, little or little people. You thought there was a whole race of tiny people. I thought there were just like a race of tiny people. I think my mind wanted it. I did the same thing with Muppets. I assumed Muppets were like a real race. Like Tom Thumb, like just really, really small people. I thought they were just like, well, you wouldn't do this on on Entertainment Tonight. It's not the movie. You can have the regular guys come in. Why would you do the tiny people? Unless they were really tiny. Gary as a child, had you been alive in the like the 30s when orson wells did his war of the worlds thing you oh, would have i would have bought it shit your 100%. pants it is amazing <laughs> i'm not queuing on i don't i don't know how i'm how i'm getting past that but i don't know i did the same thing with muppets like i'd watch sesame street and i'm like they're real people interacting with clearly these muppets yeah clearly muppets this is a real. race of people you would have an all muppet movie 
if it was going to be a puppet type movie, this is different. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> they're on a street. It's live action. Look, <laughs> Kermit is pedaling that bicycle. And I saw the credits at the end of Sesame Street, and it said something about New York, New York. And I was like, somewhere on New York, there is a Sesame Street, and it's all Muppets live there. They've been segregated. It's segregated. (laughs) (laughs) One day the Muppets will have rights like the rest of us. (laughs) That's the march we need to go to. (laughs) The the Million Muppet March. I'm down. Let's go. Oh, my God. (laughs) Anyway, Star Trek. We also mentioned Ian Abercrombie uh, as Wiseman. He was in a couple episodes of Star Trek Voyager, uh, season five, episode 21, of which was actually directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. He's directed a lot of Star Trek. And then we've got Patricia Tallman as the Possessed Witch. Now, just really quickly, she's done three episodes of Next Gen, three episodes of Deep Space Nine, two episodes of Voyager, and she appeared in Star Trek Generations. But the thing about her appearances here is for every few episodes that she's in, she's also done just as many stunt appearances. She did a lot of stunt work in her career, but almost everything that she's done in Star Trek has been uncredited. So, uh, Kurt, make a note. Uh, I move that from now on. Patricia Tallman be bestowed with the nickname seven of nine because of the nine acting roles that she's had in the Star Trek franchise from 1992 to 1997, seven of them are uncredited. Yeah. Patty Tallman is a very interesting, her career is, her career is very interesting to me because she does do stunt work, uh, but she also does regular acting roles. I mean, she, Sometimes she plays characters that they're they're credited, but they don't have names. Like in she's in Roadhouse, for example, she's mm-hmm. credited as Bandstand Babe. So she's yeah. there. She has she's on, her name's on the screen. It's credited, but she doesn't have a name. Kind of like Tim Quill, you know, in this movie. Uh, and then sometimes, like I said, she's a stunt performer. Like she was Laura Dern stunt double in Jurassic Park. Uh, sometimes she has significant roles, like on Babylon Five, where she played the character of Lita Alexander for. 47 episodes. I mean, she was a main character on that show. And then of course she'll do like, and she did, she was doing, she did Babylon five during the same time period that she was doing all of this like uncredited work on star Trek as a stunt person. So she's working in on one show where she is a a main character. And then Mm -hmm. on another show where she's doing uncredited stunt work simultaneously, it's, it's, I guess just take the work where you can get it. Take the paycheck. I mean, a lot of her stuff you see here, like security officer, weapons officer, operations division officer, but then she goes and doubles for Nana visitor on uh, deep space nine. She doubled for Gates McFadden in star Trek generations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Like (laughs) she's really fascinating and has a very, very interesting career. It really is. It's weird too. And that's everybody in star Trek. It's weird because like she uh I wonder if that's like part of uh like what Savini saw in her, like mm. to put her to put her in Night of the Living Dead, you know. That she can do the, her own stunts and stuff as well. Well, that and yeah. that she's such a badass workaholic apparently. Yeah. So yeah. Uh anyway, Todd, I have to ask you, Todd. I this could either stay or not in the in the in the show, but on our notes here, Justin has that so we all share and uh next to Star Trek you have a note from yourself that says nice. Oh, because it was on episode four. 
or episode, season four, season, episode twenty. Season four, episode twenty. It's oh, doing like, it's doing I a little like, four twenty. I wrote, I wrote uh, a little four twenty joke like, myself. Well, why? Really, why? if it was like season six, episode <laughs> nine, the nice would make more sense. Yeah, uh, but you know, all right. <laughs> So sure. I was just like, Todd's really proud of his work here. <laughs> Listen, if you don't toot your own horn sometimes. Who's going to toot it? Who, who toot else it? will toot it? Who's going to toot, toot my horn? Do either one of you guys, would would either of you like to toot my horn? Todd, I don't even want to see your horn. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Clatu verata nicto. Okay. Well, repeat them. Clatu verata nicto. Again. I got it, I got it. I know your damn words, all right? Now you get this straight, the both of you. If I get that book, you send me back. After that, I'm history. Well, before we get into the actual filming of Army of Darkness, let's talk a little bit about the folks responsible for the film's special effects because a large portion of their work was actually done before filming ever began. A lot of this is pre-production stuff. Uh, Army of Darkness, you know, once they read the script, it was very clear that this was going to require an enormous number of effect shots, uh, even compared to Raimi's previous films, even really compared to Darkman. Mm. And one of Raimi's returning collaborators on the film was special effects supervisor Bill Mesa, who had helped the director bring his outlandish vision for Darkman to life. When Sam was writing the script, he called up Bill Mesa and he asked him, what can we do to make this film go beyond what you've seen in other movies? Uh, always the innovator, he wanted to meld classic medieval imagery with the latest and greatest in special effects technology, much like Ray Harryhausen had done when he revolutionized the art of stop motion animation in uh, some of the films that this movie is drawing from. Because if you watch this, if you're familiar with Ray Harryhausen and you watch Army of Darkness, then it's very clear that Harryhausen is a major source of inspiration for both Raimi and for Army of Darkness itself. Oh, yeah. uh, when, con when conceiving the battles in Army of Darkness, Raimi looked to Harryhausen's films, uh, most notably Jason and the Argonauts and The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. The latter of these films features Sinbad's Famous battle against these sword-welding skeletons. And I, I watched this recently. Uh, I, I had it on, I should say, <laughs> in the background. But I would glance now and then. And I stopped to watch this scene in particular. And it remains an impressive feat of stop-motion animation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, Campbell uh, tells a story about how he and uh, Sam, Sam was like a grade behind him in high school or whatever. But he said that one of their big things, they would go in the library and they could pulled out these dividers and set up a screen and like they would show movies in the library uh during off times and like uh that uh jason and the argonauts was a big one that they showed yeah. like pretty regularly uh so that was definitely a huge inspiration said that they both like every time they watched it were just like staring at it just like this i've never seen anything like this before this is so cool it is really cool i mean i don't know if you guys have seen them but these movies they're on tubi right now so i ran across them the other day and just had them playing on while I was working. And every now and then I would just glance up and see the stop motion animation. These movies came out in like the late fifties, you know, so they're you know, obviously technology has advanced, has advanced greatly since then, but you see the quality of the stop motion, what Harry Housen was doing. And it is kind of mind blowing how yeah. well it has aged and how good it still looks. Well, yeah. it's physically there. So it has that advantage. But it's also like so tedious. I cannot imagine. Yeah doing that i know yeah. you have but, to be, be very very patient but i'll say this i knew his name i knew of him but it, it 
since we've been doing the show, you start to really come to appreciate just like how many things his work has inspired. Cause his oh, name, yeah. I feel like is one of those names that uh, we've, we've got several of them now, but his is one that pops up all the time over yeah. and over again. Oh yeah. Incredibly influential as a filmmaker. Well, because Army of Darkness was going to feature an army of rotting corpses, Raimi wasn't content to just have a bunch of dudes in rubber skeleton suits. Uh, there are going to be dudes in rubber skeleton suits, but he didn't want it to be all that. He wanted to see actual skeletons, like no meat on the bones, you know, actual skeletons on the battlefield. And to pull this off, they had to use a new twist on stop motion animation, one that utilized Bill Mesa's intro vision process that we discussed in our last episode. You see, these Harryhausen movies we're talking about, traditionally when you're making these, you shoot the live action scene and then you project the live action footage and then add the stop motion characters in front of it. Uh, that's rear projection. We've talked about that on the show in the past, but uh, you see it very often uh, with people where you've got characters in front of a screen that features previously shot footage. I mean, there's a reason sometimes when you watch some of these older movies that are especially ones that are very effects heavy and it looks like the actors are standing in front of a screen. It's because the actors are standing in front of a screen. That's exactly what's going on. <laughs> but Mason and Raimi instead wanted to use Intravision's new front projection technology so that Campbell was truly like in the scene with these stop motion characters in a way that had never really been seen before. Much like he had on Dark Man, Raimi got really excited by the idea of using new technology to pull off images that had never been attempted or possible before. In the case of Army of Darkness, he used everything from uh, 60-foot-tall Scotchlight front projection screens to miniatures and background plates. Uh, you've got matte paintings in there. You've got every tool they could think of were all combined to create these epic battle sequences. And while I was kind of researching this part of the production or the pre-production, I guess, in this case, I ran across this really fun fact uh, from an interview with Bill Mesa. Uh, he, he says that a lot of the shots in the end battle sequence, which is a good third of the film probably, were lifted directly from Victor Fleming's 1948 Joan of Arc film. Uh, Mesa had been gifted some of the film's original storyboards, uh, like a director friend of his who he doesn't name, but they had gifted him a collection of original storyboards from this Joan of Arc film. And he showed these to Sam Raimi because there are battle sequences in that just as kind of an idea, like, hey, we could use this as inspiration. And Sam Raimi like flipped out over them. And he started just like picking out certain shots from the storyboards uh, that he wanted to recreate. He kept, he, he would look at one like, okay, we're doing this. We're doing this one. Let's do this one. So there are shots in that battle that are lifted directly from Joan of Arc. That's really wow. cool to know. Yeah, that's, It's really that's neat. Awesome. It's, <laughs> especially, you know, knowing now, like we, I, we made a mention of it before, but some of those shots were also lifted from army of darkness for, the two towers for Lord of the Rings, the two towers by Peter Jackson. Yeah. So Peter Jackson ripped them <laughs> off from Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi ripped them off from Victor Fleming. Sam uh, Raimi walked so Peter Jackson could run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bill Mesa, however, was not the only special effects technician that was returning to work with Raimi again. Uh, you may remember that on our Evil Dead 2 episode, we mentioned a trio of guys that had been hired by Mark Showstrom. Mark Showstrom was the special effects supervisor on that one. Uh, and those three guys were Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger. So before Evil Dead 2, these guys were working independently in the special effects arena, but while working together on that film, they kind of discovered that they each brought unique strengths to the table, uh, strengths which complemented the talents of the other two. 
Uh, on the set of Evil Dead 2, that's basically where their effects company, KNB Effects, was born. They they basically they they work together and they're like, hey, we work pretty well together and we complement each other well. Maybe we should officially work together and start our own company. Mm. So in 1988, KNB was officially founded and their first film as a company was Intruder. We've mentioned Intruder on this series before. It was directed by Scott Spiegel, one of you know. Raimi's old running buddies from Detroit who had co-written Evil Dead 2 with them. After that, they did makeup effects for several direct-to-video films, several horror movie sequels, stuff like Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Halloween 5. And thanks to a recommendation from uh, George Romero, actually, who knew Greg Nicotero from his time working on Dawn of the Dead. He worked under Tom Savini on that one. Uh, the group were actually hired to create realistic-looking cadavers for a comedy about medical students called Gross Anatomy. Uh, never heard of this movie, uh, but it was produced by Deborah Hill, who produced uh, Halloween, of course. And their work on that film, creating these cadavers, because this was kind of different work than what they'd been doing before, that actually got them the attention of Kevin Costner, who hired them for Dances with Wolves. Uh, which, of course, working on something like Dances with the Wolves, which is this big prestigious picture, tons of Oscar nominations, that helped them break out of being known solely for gory horror movies. And kind of puts Kevin Costner in a different light. Like, you've got some, a new uh, newfound respect for Kevin Costner because he Kevin, just kind of seems like a, a a dope. But, like, oh, he's into, like, cool, gory cool, gory think, horror movies. That's I, awesome. I never thought that Kevin Costner seemed like a dope. I never thought that either. I think he's a he's a great actor. He's a Do you great guys watch actor, Yellowstone. Throw me under the bus, guys! Come on, yeah, he's Dude. great on Yellowstone. It, Yellowstone right now, he is a badass. Yeah, like, he is. I love it. Kevin Kevin Costner's great. I've never seen that. Is that? Oh, that's on uh, Paramount Plus, isn't it? It is. Okay, yeah. I spend a lot of time on there. I, it's good. I, I do too, but it's mostly to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I've, I've, I've got Todd. I've got Todd's uh, password for Paramount Plus, and he gave it to me to watch all the new Star Trek stuff. And literally, all I do is watch RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> watch on there. none of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, after Dances with Wolves, K and B worked on Rob Reiner's Misery, so you can thank them for being traumatized by that foot breaking scene in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking time, man. I've seen that movie. 15 times probably and every time on that scene it makes oh. me cringe <laughs> and then they created animatronic calves for city slickers in 1991 so they're really breaking out of doing they're not doing just makeup they're doing creature effects and puppetry and animatronics and things like that mm. well it's around that time when they did city slickers that they got a call from sam raimi and rob tapert asking them to do the effects work on army of darkness and this is a, I mean, the thing is, is like, you know, despite all that, they're having obviously like a lot of su uh, success, but you, you hear these guys talk about it. This is a dream project for them because the scope, the scale of the whole thing, but also Sam's becoming popular, sought after director. But with him, uh, and I think I mentioned this before uh, in the last one, you know, they, they know that everything is on the table when it's Sam Raimi. Like they, they're going to be given like all this room to just like, show off what they could do and they're like going to be this. able to show off but they're also going to be like required to do a shit ton of work oh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean they're they're going to be required to do a lot of work but they i know that going in they say that you know they were ready because they're you know i think in evil dead 2 i told the story about like how they said like sam would be there like all right in this scene 
um, hey, how many deadites do we have right now? And they're like, oh, we got like six deadites. This scene calls for six deadites. <laughs> <laughs> he did the same thing here. How many yeah. how many deadite soldiers do we have here? Oh, we got like 40 of them, I think. All right. This scene's going to need 40 of them. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, oh, he'll pick like one or two of them. And he's like, nope, every time. He's like, every single everything one. they could do. <laughs> like, what, what, what could we do here? Well, we could do this or this or this. He's like, yes, we will do all of that. well the knb guys were responsible for the majority of the on-screen creatures in army of darkness according to howard bergman they did about 70 percent of the makeup and creature effects that you see on screen uh they're responsible for the army of deadites which included not only full-size skeleton puppets but skeleton suits for the actors to wear as well because because these guys are you know they're in the the deadites are in kind of various states of decomposition so some of them will still have some meat on the bones and some of mm-hmm. them are pure skeletons. So they're for the guys that still had meat on the bones. They are guys in rubber suits with, you know, exposed skull skeletons and things like that. You can see mm-hmm. some of those screen tests with the guys in the skeleton suits. Those are kind of fun. They're, I don't know. You can tell they're like tired out too. Cause they're like the one guy, I don't know which one it is, is in the suit. And it's like just the skeleton, but he's like flipping off the camera and he's like, where is Sam Raimi? Where is he? Is this good enough for you? They also created the possessed witch, which is the character, uh, which is the character that was played by Patricia Tallman, who Todd mentioned a little bit earlier during a Star Trek segment. Uh, and if you recognized her name when we started talking about her, then it's probably because you listened to our George Romero series. Uh, and that's actually how she knew the K&B guys through her work with George Romero. Tallman had appeared in small roles in both Night Riders and Monkey Shines. And then she would later star in Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead remake as Barbara. So she's the main character there, which unfortunately didn't translate to a lot of main character work for her, which is too bad because I think she's really good. She was really solid. I think she's really good here, too, because she is, even though she's unrecognizable under that makeup, like that is a hell of a scene that she's in. And it's one of the few like horror scenes or scary, uh, sort of scary scenes in this entire movie. I love it. And I love when she's like laying on the ground and the, you get that close up her face, like with the eyes open, like waiting yeah. for the guy to touch her and stuff. Yeah. Like that. I love it's that great. stuff. The other 30% of the effects work, the stuff that was not done by K&B was done by Tony Gardner, who had done the makeup effects for Darkman. For Army of Darkness, Gardner was responsible for uh, like the evil Ash, that the makeup on that, and the evil Sheila makeups. That was his main responsibility. I mean, he did nice. some other little things here and there, but... Those are kind of his biggest contributions. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I read was like the the hand, the uh, the armored hand that Ash gets. I love that thing. That thing's yeah. like wicked. Like it's just cool. The, yeah, and and he had, and they he said like Sam had it all thought out. Like uh, the pistons, like he knew exactly how it wanted. Uh, there was some like toy they had as a kid, like a whammo air pump. And so like Sam just had that in his head that he wanted that used somewhere on here. So you got that scene of Bruce like pumping up the glove like like a little i don't know it's weird yeah but uh, yeah that was based on some toy that sam raimi liked when he was a kid that would shoot like little rubber darts or something that you kind of pumped in the same way yeah i couldn't remember what it was but yeah that's some, what was some kind of it's toy. like a toy yeah yeah hey hey what's the big idea take a bite take a bite why yeah <laughs> oh i'm blind i'm blind they're also uh just for the record, the book doesn't match up exactly, but they tried to get it there. But they apparently made like what they called the hero book, like the uh, 
uh, had actual pages like detailing yeah. everything, and uh, somebody stole it apparently, <laughs> and it never came back. Started. Yeah, so they never ah. had to put it on screen. Yeah, Tom Sullivan actually was asked to kind of help recreate the book initially. The guy who created it for the for the first and second film, and uh, so his work is here. But yeah, they they had to create a much bigger book this time around too because Ash like gets his whole body sucked into it at one point. So yeah. the small book from the first two movies wasn't really going to work. Filming for Army of Darkness took place over a period of about 100 days, and that time was spent between stage work and on-location work. And for the on-location stuff, the production used a private ranch in the middle of the desert north of Los Angeles. And the castle that we see in the film, a big castle, was actually built right there on a hill in the middle of the desert, although only the bottom half of the castle actually existed. Everything above that was a matte painting that was added during post-production, although I'll be honest, it's a damn good looking matte painting. And I, yeah, I was going to say it looks usually, great. Yeah. I usually pick up matte paintings pretty easily in films. And that one got me, that one yeah. got by me. And there were of course, some headaches that came with filming out in the California desert. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to the desert, but the things you got to know about the desert is one, they're very hot during the day. Everybody knows that, right? Very, very hot. You're in the desert. That's what you see in cartoons and every other thing where you see a, a scene in the desert. But at night, the deserts get very, very cold, like extremely cold. Like the, you, uh, uh, your temperature can drop from being 100 degrees during the day to 30 degrees at night. So shooting there was very difficult because during the day, you know, you've got this cast that's all wearing some kind of wool or heavy clothing. So they're just like boiling inside their costumes. But then at night, which in a big chunk of this movie was night shoots. I mean, the whole last act of the film is at night there. Everyone's freezing. Yeah, I think Marcus Gilbert said uh, he swears he lost like 11 pounds in one day. Uh, just sweating. Shooting. Yeah, just from sweating. Uh, like he had weighed himself before and literally weighed himself that night when he got back to his place and like he had lost 11 pounds. Wow. Um, and Beth Davids, I, I kind of m- mentioned this before, but she was having a rough time too. They said like, she was just, you know, the filming at night, the heavy prosthetic she ended up in, mm-hmm. uh, they were saying like, she was contemplating like quitting acting. Like she was just like, maybe this is not <laughs> what I want to do. Maybe she should just not make Sam Raimi movies. Yeah, well, it's funny Jeez. you say that because, like, uh, in the commentary uh, track, Sam says, like, yeah, and Beth and, like, Bruce Campbell's, like, talking to him, and he's like, yeah, she'll never work for me again. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, and he's like, he's like, you don't like her? And he's like, no, you don't understand. Like, she'll never work for me again. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but and it was, a, you know, and it was intended to look a lot like England, apparently, at first. So, but it, it does actually, not. It does not yeah. because it's all flat desert. Uh Bill Pope says like one day, like Sam came in and was like, uh, Hey, so I know a lot of the stuff I sent you talks about Nottingham forest. And, uh, so there, you know, obviously a big forest, uh, we've got some budget stuff going on. It's going to be a little bit smaller than we intended. So anyway, <laughs> what I'm trying to ask you is where do you want us to put your tree? <laughs> one tree. <laughs> Did they just keep moving that tree throughout the production? I think so. I think they just like would would like t- dig it out of the ground and just move it into another scene. Yeah. <laughs> well, we also I don't think we've talked about well, you know since we're talking about everyone in these heavy wool costumes. The the costume designer on this film it, it's it should be noted is a, a woman named Ida Giran who is Bruce Campbell's wife. 
they had met on a movie uh, like not long before this, I think, where she Mind Warp, I think is the name. Mind of it. Warp, yeah. So she was a costume designer there. He was he starred in it, and they met, and then they got married in 1991. So around the so, so they were basically newlyweds at this time, and uh, they've been married ever since. They're still married to this day. But yeah, they they met on. Uh, they they met on the set of a film just before this and then worked together on Army of Darkness. Yeah, wow. he said they picked the absolute worst way to honeymoon. Like they, <laughs> they you know, they they had just gotten married. They decided to go ahead and get married before they went and did Army of Darkness. And he said they, they were, I think they were worried that if they worked together first, then they would end up never getting married. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, and he says too in some stuff that the other thing was is like you just don't see each other ever. Yeah, that's and true. Uh, so you're like completely mm-hmm. separated, and so it's like every time they'd see each other, it's like, hey, how how are you? Like, great, I'm great. I gotta go. I gotta go work on these costumes. Like, I can't. I don't have time to talk to you. And it's like, <laughs> or hey, what are you doing? Sorry, I gotta go do push ups and stuff because I gotta see. <laughs> there was a, a moment during the filming when one of her costumes, like an armor that she had made, actually cut Bruce Campbell. Did you see the story, Gary? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so it cut him like on the chin, that big old chin of his oh. uh, got got scratched by one of her costumes, and he had to go to like the I don't know if it was the emergency room. I don't think it was that big of a deal, but he had to go to the hospital to get it stitched up. And at the time, it was during the point of filming where his face is already covered in cuts, so the doctor had to be like, uh, "Which one is it?" <laughs> and he had to assure the doctor nice. the rest of the cuts on his face were in fact movie makeup uh so they they fixed it up and it's actually all the the cut is on his face through a big portion of the film you just can't see because he's also got a bunch of fake cuts on his face it's a weird yeah i saw that um i had that in my my fun facts section that story about the hospital no 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 it's okay (laughs) i was just saying i didn't know how it happened though i just saw that he had gotten injured at one point yeah it was it was from an armor that she had designed which she's like the worst thing that a costume designer like the worst fear for a costume designer is that her costume injures the lead actor i guess it probably helped that the lead actor was her husband uh in this particular case but yeah in any other case she would be like absolutely mortified that she's injured the lead actor like i mean imagine she was doing like a george clooney movie or something and george clooney had to go to the hospital because of something that she made you know right Uh, flip side of the coin what a great compliment to the special effects people when they got back from the hospital saying hey (laughs) the doctor couldn't tell the difference (laughs) that's true that is true I, i i honestly I love this movie. We're going to get into how much I love this movie and how much I think all of us love this movie. But I do think that the costume design and the production design look pretty cheap in this movie. Like I know that she went gear and she went to a lot of um, like Ren fairs and things like that and talked to Ren fair people to get ideas for the costumes and the costumes in this definitely look very Ren fair to me. They do not look like period accurate, like actual mm-hmm. medieval times. They look like people in costumes. Well, same thing with the production design, like the castle looks like, the version of a castle that somebody only knows castles from storybooks. I was going to say like yeah. at this point in our lives, like as we're reviewing this, where we've had things like game of thrones and Lord of the right. Rings and everything exactly. else, you're like, uh, this does not live up to that. No, it does not. It does not. Uh, it doesn't hurt my enjoyment of the movie, but it's worth noting. All right. So we're, we're back to filming. We're back out in the desert, right? So the part of the desert that they're filming at also happened to be very close to an animal sanctuary, specifically a sanctuary for big cats that was owned by actress T.P. Hedron. So at night, when it was feeding time, they would hear lions roaring off in the distance because they're in the desert, completely flat, so sound will travel for miles. And 
these lions would actually ruin takes every now and then because they'd be in the middle of a scene and there would be a lion roaring off in the background that would get picked up by the mics. There was like a love scene. I would think that would add to it. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's no explanation to why there would be lion roars in the background. There are no lions in the movie. (laughs) They could have played with that. You know, I'm surprised Sam didn't think of like strapping one of these skeletons on the back of a lion or something. Oh, that would be (laughs) Where would he have gotten the lion if they're in England? That's lions. You know, (laughs) there's dead, there's deadites. So yeah, but those, you know, but those but those deadites were at least British before they came back to life. There are no lions are not native to England. I think you're thinking about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here's one thing that we've come to know about Sam Raimi throughout this series, uh, and that's that he's the kind he's kind of like a big kid when he's on the set. You know, like he's having fun. Uh, it's not that's not saying that he's like unprofessional. He's in fact very professional. We've seen he comes to the set in a shirt and tie uh, to kind of show how professional he is, but he also wants to, the experience to be as much fun as possible, even on tough shoots. And this was a very tough shoot. In fact, here's how Richard Grove described him in an interview that I read. Richard Grove, again, being the guy who plays Eric the Red here, he says, quote, Sam was just like a kid with a camera. He was so excited to be making movies. You could obviously tell that he just loved it. So when problems came up, he just didn't like them. He was uncomfortable with them, which is why I think Tapert is so important to him. Rob Tapert is Sam's bad cop. And I love that quote because it makes me think of that story on, on dark man where Rob Tapert had the idea to go recut the movie without the, without the studio knowing. And he even says, I, there were, I don't have the quote in front of me, but we talked about it last episode where he's like, Sam would have never done that, but I would yeah. <laughs> and that, 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 that kind of, jibes with what what richard grove is saying here about sam raimi like sam raimi just wants to have fun he doesn't want to have the tough conversations with people that's why you have a that's why you have a producer producers yeah like howard berger says uh that like i guess the understanding too is you you go talk to rob tepper like anytime you got a issue or something you need to discuss and uh so as uh one of the stories he tells uh somewhere is that uh when you when he was frustrated at one point about like hey we're on day 22 of shooting and we haven't had a break this is around the time he's talking about that union thing if i was a union i'd be like a multi-millionaire uh yeah. just for this movie but he says uh he went to, to rob it was like it's day 22 we haven't had a break we gotta talk about money here because things are getting crazy and he said that like rob tapper would be like all right uh okay wait right here and we're, we're going to figure something out. We're going to talk about it. Uh, hold on a second. And he said he would like walk, walk away. And like he had something to do and like Berger would be standing there and he'd stand there. And he said, all of a sudden he'd look over and he'd see like Rob Tapert's headlights just going around the weaves, like driving off. He's <laughs> yeah, taillights. <laughs> like he's just like driving away. He said, all right, well, I guess we'll talk about this on day 23. Hopefully <laughs> it makes me think for some reason that just makes me think of that Skeletor meme. Right, where <laughs> he's running away. Rob Tapper will be back Until next, next week time with more, more discussions about your pay. <laughs> well, it did seem like on this film in particular, Raimi was like really having fun because again, he's going back to his roots here. Uh, he feels like he's making the that those movies with his friends, like he'd made when he was you know in his twenties. Uh, he's very far from the prying eyes of the studio. Uh, And this is like very hands-on filmmaking. This is the kind of stuff that they've done, but not only with Evil Dead, but with those like 16 millimeter films, you know, the the very Mm hands-on stuff. Uh, Only this time he's got the budget 
to really make his vision come to life. It's not a huge budget, but compared to Evil Dead or the 16 millimeter films, which had no budget, like this really gives him a bigger canvas to work on. And and he gets to torture his best friend. So <laughs> there's always that. Like, uh, just I I love the idea. I, I, I you know just. He, in Sam Raimi's movies, he likes to torture his lead, especially if it's Bruce Campbell. And uh, so he likes to torture Bruce Campbell, regardless of whether he's the lead. Just oh, it's at, so good. Just look at Pizza Papa. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor Strange. Oh, that that's so perfect when you know their relationship. And so, like, it just reminds me of just like uh, one of the scenes, like the the effects guys are talking about how you know, like, there's the scene they made the book that like flies. You know, and they've got the stick holding the. They're like, you can kind of see it. We colored it dark, and it's got a. Stick this is when they're it. in the graveyard, and the book flies in the air and starts hitting. Yeah, it starts grabbing his face. But yeah. they said, like, at one point, like they're doing that, and Sam just walks over and grabs the book. He's like, "No, let me show you," and just like starts whacking Bruce in the face with the book. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like he wants to be that guy. Yeah, and, always. Uh, He's, if he if he has a chance to control the abuse being flung at Bruce Campbell, he's gonna do it. Like in. Uh, Evil Dead 2, where Bruce is getting f- pushed, you know, thrown through the woods by the Deadites, and he's spinning around. Yeah, Maybe yeah. he was at the controls of the thing that was spinning him around. Of course he is. Well, and here, uh, the like where Bruce falls over, the skeleton arms are coming out of the ground and like smacking oh, him yeah. in the face and whacking the three him. Stooges bit. Yeah, yeah, it's like totally Sam Raimi. Like Sam Raimi grabbed hold of the skeleton arms and became the guy uh to do it they said they'd watch him and like sam's just like giggling and he's just like <laughs> smacking him in the face like oh sorry buddy we'll have it again did he do it again <laughs> and he's like uh, he's like oh oh sorry pal oh 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 okay all right sorry bruce uh, oh hold on one second one more <laughs> and he's like, do it it said like till bruce gets fed up and he finally stands yeah. up he's like okay sam i think we've got it I all right, think that's enough. And he's like, <laughs> "All right, buddy, you're a good sport, pal. Thanks for doing that." <laughs> I, I and I don't know for sure, but I have to imagine the scene where Bruce's, uh, where, where, or I guess it's Evil Ash at that point, right, where his head gets cut off and he he gets thrown in the grave, and then the dirt gets thrown directly onto his face while he's talking. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just picture Sam Raimi holding the shovel, like just yeah. throwing that big clump of dirt in, in Bruce's Absolutely. face. It had to be. Sam Raimi doing it you know he was not going to let that ap- that opportunity pass him by right <laughs> I think years from now when you know Bruce departs this mortal coil I think the first person to toss the first handful of dirt will be Sam Raimi and he'll open the coffin and just hit him in the face with it. <laughs> uh, one of the stories from the filming of this that I really liked involved the opening scene uh, the scene that's basically the, the recap of Evil Dead 2, you know, where Ash falls from the sky, he lands, and then Delta, the, the, or Sam's Delta 88, the classic, crashes to the ground behind him. Yeah. And then, of course, he wakes up and realizes he's in medieval times. But uh, for whatever reason, they decided to reshoot that scene instead of just reusing footage from the previous film. They decided, we're going to do this again. We got a budget. We're going to, you know make it look better so to pull the scene off what they did is they took the classic and they suspended it from a a, this huge crane they're on an access road next to a gravel pit somewhere out in southern california and off camera and out of frame bruce campbell is ready to go he's on top of a ladder just waiting for them to give him the the cue and when they gave him the cue bruce was supposed to jump off the ladder land on the ground and crumple to the ground like we see in the movie and then in the background the car gets dropped from the crane. They release it and the car comes crashing down. Sounds fairly simple. I mean, dangerous, but fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Well, while they were getting ready to shoot the scene, they're getting everything 
set up, getting Bruce into position and everything. The car just unexpectedly crashes to the ground. Everyone, you know, is doing their thing. And all of a sudden, boom, this car, an entire car just falls from the sky and hits the ground. So everyone's startled and they look around and trying to figure out what happened. And they see that the crane that had held the car, the arm is kind of wobbling uncontrollably, like going everywhere. And the support legs on the crane had given out. They had kind of crumpled. And this crane is in the middle of slowly falling off of the cliff and into the gravel pit. Uh. At that point, (laughs) there's nothing they can do about it. You can't grab it and keep it from falling. So the crew just kind of watched helplessly as this huge crane just tumbled to the bottom of the pit (laughs) in a heap. Uh, They they did end up reshooting it a couple of times that they could never really get it right. So they, in the end, just ended up reusing the footage from Evil Dead 2 anyway. (laughs) After after all that. You know that that was a discussion of like, well, we could get the 100 foot and it might hold the car. Right. <laughs> or we could get the 150 foot, which will hold the car and then some. And they're like, well, we're, you know, we're looking at a couple line items in the budget. I think we could probably squeeze by with the 100 foot. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, somebody was standing next to somebody else watching the crane going in, going the 100 foot, right? Yeah, that's, told you that's so. the one we should get. Okay. <laughs> All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. The 12 gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right. Shop smart. Shop S-mart. You got that? But once filming was underway, Bill Mesa's role, remember Bill Mesa's the super, uh, a special effects supervisor here, his role became something a little bit more than just special effects supervisor. Uh, now, if you look at the credits, that's his only official credit on the film. Uh, but because of the film's tight budget, Bill Pope, who Bill Pope is returning as the cinematographer. Remember, he worked on Darkman. That was his first movie. So Bill Pope is back. But because this film you know, had a tight budget, they couldn't pay Bill Pope his standard fee. So the production agreed that Pope would only shoot during certain hours Monday through Friday. Basically, he's working like a nine to five here. Uh, If it's outside of those hours, somebody else has to shoot it because they can't afford him. What happens here is this leaves Bill Mesa to shoot a lot of the action sequences on the weekend. Basically, he's doing uncredited second unit work. That's what Bill Mesa is doing. He's the director slash cinematographer of some of these scenes. Well, one of the scenes that he uh, he worked on takes place towards the end of the film. It's a really cool shot. Uh, It's got Campbell. uh, He's kind of walking along the side of the castle, but it's a dolly shot where the camera is kind of down below his face, facing up. And Campbell almost seems to be floating forward the way that, because I guess that he's riding on the dolly is kind of what it looks like. And he's delivering this inspiring scene, uh, speech to his troops and uh, trying to gear them up for the final battle. And this is a pretty complicated scene to shoot, as you can imagine with your lead actor on a dolly while all this other stuff is going on all around him. Uh, you've got all these, you know, foreground elements, background elements, special effects, all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, When you watch it, it seems like it'd be pretty straightforward, but 
like a lot of scenes on this movie, it was much more difficult to shoot than it might appear. And that happens a lot on this movie where a lot, a lot of these scenes are incredibly complicated to shoot and they don't look like they would be necessarily. But once you factor in all the different types of special effects that they're using, you know, putting all that together and making it work is incredibly difficult. For instance, one of them, one of the most difficult ones from what it sounds like to shoot was the scene where Ash uh, this is during the final battle. He's fighting the skeletons atop the castle wall. You've got skeletons climbing over the castle wall. Uh, they've got you've got them coming up the stairs at him. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And these skeletons, you remember, a lot of them are stop motion, so they're not on set. So Campbell is having to punch at characters and swing a sword at characters who aren't actually there. So what they would do to make sure that Campbell is punching and swinging his weapon in the right direction. They choreographed the scene ahead of time by assigning numbers to certain moves that Campbell would have to make. So it'd be like, hey, at number six, you have to hit the skeleton. At number seven, you have to duck down to your because he's, you know, ducking to not get punched or not get hit with a sword. Basically, it's a highly choreographed dance number that's designed to look like a fight. When someone's off screen just shouting numbers at Bruce Campbell, going, All right, 25, 26. 27 and Bruce Campbell has to know what those numbers mean and what movement he has to make in order to do that. Yeah. Of course, Sam Raimi being who he is was determined to make it as complicated and as hard for Bruce as possible. He actually told Bill Mesa, this is a quote from Bill Mesa. He said, make him go through torture. <laughs> so he's like, let's just make it as difficult as possible. <laughs> and some of those scenes would take 36, 37 takes to complete. I mean, Bruce Campbell was absolutely exhausted. I mean, at some point, like I know they're, I know they're friends. I know they're friends, but at some point, Sam crosses the line into like Kubrick territory of like, hey, uh, let's chop another door down, Jack. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at what? I mean, I'd really like to know Bruce's like. Okay, this is. You know, at this point, this is where I cut it off. You know, I mean, he does that a couple of times where he's like, he he does cut it off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. But everybody says the same thing about him that that Sam's excitement during everything is just so contagious that he he makes (laughs) you excited. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like kind. He's the kind of guy who'd give an extra, give a chair to an extra if he had to. Uh, And like we said before, he's just a kid. and uh, even like Nicotero sort of said, like he also offers ideas all the time that like help you access different parts of your brain. It feels like that, like he, oh, wow. and uh, he says, it's just like, he makes you part of a team too. He never makes it about himself. Uh, but I'm with you. I'm with you that it does seem like he's, he's torturing. In fact, actually, now that you say that Howard Berger had a story too, about one time that like they were standing by and like, Bruce was doing I think it was during some of this choreography and uh and he said that you know one of the things that Sam would always do is like he'd always keep the camera rolling um and uh so like Bruce is standing there and he's like getting ready and like uh he's like all right uh do this do this and he said he look Howard Berger says he looks over at him and he goes do you want to see something funny and he's like sure and he's like hey buddy let's try this do- Flap your arms like a chicken right now. And so like Bruce Campbell would start flapping his arms like a chicken. He's like, all right, that's good. That's good. Let's do do the squawks. You got to get, give me the squawks. It's like Bruce would start going to, 
<laughs> it's just like, all right. And he'd like look over at Howard Bird. He's like, it's so good to be the king, buddy. <laughs> yeah, he would he would leave the cameras running because he always, which is very expensive when you're shooting on film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was because he thought that you know once you cut, all these people rush into the scene. And they kind of ruin the feel of what's going on. So he would just keep the camera rolling and just keep going into the, the other takes. Another one of the scenes that uh, it, it got cut from the film due to, I think, budgetary reasons, but they were going to do an entire like chorus girl, Busby Berkeley dance scene with Bruce and some of the skeletons. And he actually <laughs> made, he actually made Bruce take like dance lessons for a couple of weeks uh, to get ready for it. And they ended up cutting it before they ever shot it. But yeah, Bruce, Bruce was even like, really Sam, no, we're not really doing this. He's like, yeah, but you know, we're doing this. We're having a dance scene in this movie. He also Jeez. says like, if you were to watch the dailies of the movie, the stuff, he said like Bruce says like half the stuff would be like him just staring off, like listening to Sam explain to him the line he's supposed to give, like that. He was always changing things <laughs> and adding paragraphs. So he said it would be like, if you watch the dailies, half of it would be like, uh huh, okay, yeah. Like, because Sam's right. yelling it from off screen. Yeah, yeah. Like, and so then the he would like deliver a line, <laughs> and then he said, like, Sam would be like, yeah, no, that's not it. Let's do something else. Uh, let's try this. <laughs> and, like he'd say something else, and like Bruce would be like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> you have to like remember what Sam said and like deliver it. <laughs> and he said the dailies would be like the worst. I think it's like, just it's, a, it's just a lot of Bruce listening, footage <laughs> yeah. of Bruce listening to something off screen. Uh, Bill Pope had but, a funny. But think, story. think, think of how much more funding they could have if Sam wouldn't fuck around so much. But he's getting the results. Yeah, know? yeah, I guess so. Can't Bill Pope had a that. story about like uh, he said, "I've had two actual meetings with Sam Raimi in my life," and he was like, "One of them was like one of our first. Uh, and he said, uh, uh, "He said he brought me in. He said, all right, I'm going to tell you." how to move the camera, where to be, what lens you're going to use, and how you light it. What do you think about that? Bill Pope said he was like, well, you're the director. And he says, Sam's like, hmm, it's not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how fast to move, the angles that you use, and when, I'm going to say, I'm going to point to something, and you got to be ready. And he's like, hey, you're the guy. You, My job is to start where you stop. And Sam Ravis like, all right, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know nearly enough about any of that stuff. I just wanted to see what you'd say. Yes, yeah, like I don't, I don't know anything about camera lenses or anything. I was just thinking, uh, it was like, does he know how to shoot anything? Really? Bill Post said he's like, no, he just, he just wanted to see if he could push me around if he needed hey. to. <laughs> well, one of the film's most complex sequences to shoot was the climactic battle royale, as you can imagine. Uh, This sequence was choreographed with the help of stunt coordinator Chris Doyle. Uh, He would choreograph and supervise the live action elements of the battle, and then Bill Mesa would work to combine it with various special effects, stop motion, mechanical effects, prosthetics, matte paintings, visual effects, all this stuff. Doyle also assisted with the classics conversion from a shitty old car that Bruce Campbell apparently hates to a weapon of destruction known as the Death Coaster that we see in the film's finale ass destruction did you say a weapon of ass destruction yeah why 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 is that car a weapon of ass destruction 
Uh, because all the deadites are. Have you used it in your butthole? Well, (laughs) give me a minute. No, I'm just saying. I don't know. Maybe you'd know if you'd use it in your butt. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I I love this little bit of movie ingenuity that I found about this sequence. So for the shots where the classic, there's a couple. This happens a couple of times. But after Ash gets in the car, he's plowing through the army of deadites. You know, if if you remember the 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 Death Coaster is the classic with the giant like rotor blades on the front and all those turns into a tank basically. Yeah. So it runs into a bunch of soldiers and Doyle uh, for a couple of these sequences, he had three stuntmen on air ratchets. So basically these guys are dressed up as dead ice. They're in their little skeleton costume and underneath their vest, they uh, had a cable that was hooked up really high on their backs, like up near kind of where you're, you're between your shoulder blades. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they would run into the frame five or six feet and a cable would come to a stop. And when it came to a stop that triggered the solenoid, which would jerk them up and out of the shot. So when filmed from the right angle and timed correctly, it would look like the blades from the death coaster had knocked them in the air and out of frame. Uh, it happens at least twice in the movie that I noticed. And it's a really cool shot because it really does look like they're just getting walloped by these things. And it's clearly actual people and not like a special effect not a dummy or stop motion yeah one of the cool things that i noticed from this uh movie too um and this is a credit to uh you know we're talking about the team uh doug leffler uh who's like a second unit director he's been heavy in art departments and stuff like that uh um he you know the guys from kmb talk a lot about how improved the storyboards were on this movie. They said that they they had a book on the set that was like basically a comic book of this movie that was like, and every scene was already drawn exactly how it was going to be shot. Mm -hmm. So you knew like what had to be in frame and like where and all that stuff. They said it was like an awesome resource. You just open it up and he'd be like, we're shooting this today and like point to a picture. And like, you could see like a exactly how it was going to look mm-hmm. uh but that that was all drawn by uh doug leffler who was helping sam out with this storyboards like sam gives him uh, it's pretty complimentary of him just his ability to translate what his thoughts were on the page you know rather than like back at evil dead 2 where he was like drawing a big stick figure right figure hand. <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> like this is the evil hand and uh so uh anyway i just wanted to visit uh doug doug leffler there for yeah. a second too Well, as originally conceived, the film's ending would have seen Ash awakened in a futuristic London in a post-apocalyptic world where he'd have to once again face off against a bunch of deadlights. But Universal, they filmed this ending, by the way. They filmed it. Uh, And I think it's a fun idea for an ending because it kind of... It kind of is similar to the ending of Evil Dead 2, where it's teasing a possible sequel, you know? Mm -hmm. The ending of Evil Dead 2 was the beginning of Army of Darkness, so this could have been the beginning of something else. But Universal hated it, uh, because they they did test screenings with audiences, and audiences thought the ending was a bit of a downer, which I think is a weird criticism for a movie about an army of skeletons. (laughs) Uh, So the studio made Raimi shoot a new, more upbeat ending. So about a month after principal photography had ended, the crew reconvened to shoot a new ending, which had Ash in present day working at S-Mart again, and then Deadites come in and he has to shoot him. <laughs> like, so after all of that, he goes back to his boring nine to five. I think that's actually the more depressing ending. Right, yeah. <laughs> he's getting, this is 1992 and he's working retail at yeah. uh, basically a Kmart, probably making 
five fifty an hour. You know, nice. Sam Raimi had the Marvel attitude even back then. Like that's exactly a Spider Man type ending. <laughs> it like is. Yeah, you, you know, just back to work, back to regular day to day. Um, he Sam says he has input into that reshooting too. By the way, so he can't. He says he can't entirely put the blame on them, but he said yeah, those. The, it was like Dito had had the foreign cut, you know, like the overseas stuff he was using, and the people said it was a doubter, and then also. Uh, Universal thought it was too long. I think he said too. Uh, yeah. that, that was a big factor in it. But the I, new, I, the yeah. new ending. I mean, the the theatrical ending, the Smart ending, is still fun. I it's like not it. a, It's not a bad ending at all. I mean, it's it's very well done. It's got some fun, like very gymnastic uh, deadites in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, doing their little flips like they're the fucking penguins henchmen from Batman Returns. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's fun. You know, and you get Ash and he, he gets his hell to the king line, which is one of the most iconic lines in this entire movie. Yeah. Uh, come from that reshot ending. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. Hail to the king, baby. Now, that wasn't the only reshoot on the film either, or not the only scene reshot i guess i should say uh, a couple of months later another round of reshoots began uh, and those involved some moments during ash's stay at the windmill uh the windmill stuff my favorite sequence in the movie i'll talk about it in a minute uh it also included ash's tumble into a puddle these are typical kind of reshoot things uh, like oh we saw ash fall but we didn't see him land so let's get a shot of him going head first into a puddle kind of like an evil dead 2 only this time the puddle is three feet deep for some reason and half of your body is going to go in there. Uh, it also included the scenes with Bridget Fonda who appears as Ash's girlfriend, Linda, uh, Bridget Fonda, very well-known actress. She had already done like the, what, what's the single white female. That's the one with her, right? Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so she was very well known, not necessarily needing to do like a tiny role like this, but she was apparently a big fan of the previous two evil dead movies. And she contacted them saying that she would like a role. And they're like, well, we got it. We're doing this, uh, the, these new scenes with Ash's girlfriend Linda, you don't have any lines and you've got about 30 seconds of screen time, but she was still down for it, which is how we ended up having uh, her as the now third actress to play Linda in three movies. Yeah, which just becomes like it seems like it could just be become becoming a theme. Uh, yeah, they just have like a different Linda every different time. Different Linda every time. It's kind of like the, like the kids in the uh, the National Lampoon's Vacation movies. Yeah, just re recast them in every movie. <laughs> She's an interesting person too, like uh daughter of Peter Fonda, obviously. And then, of course, uh, uh, you know, like Justice in a single white female. It's hard to explain. Like she was pretty hot at this time. Like she was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she Jackie was Brown singles. was still a few years away. Singles at this time. She does singles in Doc Hollywood. Yeah, uh, and single oh, white that's female. Right. I forgot she was in Doc uh, Hollywood. So she was like regularly working. I think I looked at her filmography, and she she's done like five movies over the span of like just several months here or something wow. like she appears in and so uh but yeah like you said like she reached out and uh, i i have to think uh that uh maybe it's related to dark man because she's a uh, she's married to danny elfman and oh uh, no shit yeah. oh. And so i'm not sure they were married quite yet but they had at least met at this point mm. uh she'll she'll go on to do like a simple plan uh she's in that and yep. uh but yeah, she's weird. She was like, uh, she she does like the. I remember that movie had ads everywhere. The Point of No Return starred yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Which was a that was a remake of La Femme Nikita. The yeah, Luc Besson movie. Yeah, 
she had a bad accident in 2008 and like broke a vertebrae or two or something. And, uh, jeez. Oh, I she did just, not know that. She dropped out of public life completely. Wow. She, and, yeah, she uh, looks like she's still married. Her and Danny Elfman got married in 2003. So they got married quite a, quite a long time after this. Yeah, it was a little but... bit later, but I think they met like somewhere around here. Like he scored a movie she was in or something. He scored. But, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know. Well, once, uh, speaking of, Music. Uh, once the reshoots were complete, Joe Loduca, Raymond's composer. Uh, I should have paused just for Todd to do that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Loduca, who was Raimi's composer on the first two Evil Dead films, returned to compose the score. And once again, just like he had to do on Evil Dead 2, he had to completely change the style of his score from the previous film because this is nothing like the previous two movies. So he had to kind of match the tone of this one, which is a big, you know, adventure movie fantasy mm. adventure movie is what i would call this more than a horror film uh but then the the march of the dead theme was actually composed by danny elfman which is great so, which is nice. which is really great it is really yeah. good it, it very i mean i think the score to this movie in general is really good but i do really do particularly love that march of the dead theme mm. now we've mentioned it a few times now that Raimi had a lot more freedom on the set of army of darkness than he had had on dark man Unfortunately, that freedom did not extend to the editing suite once he was in post-production. Once Raimi began to put the film together, that's when Universal stepped in and started meddling. Now, we've already... Universal, just let him do the the thing. Like, you hired him. They got to earn their paycheck. (laughs) Those suits suits feel like, I've got to earn my paycheck, so I've got to tell this guy what to do uh, instead of just letting him do his thing. Uh, now, we've already mentioned one bit of meddling, that original ending that we talked about. But Universal had some other issues as well, uh, including the original opening in which we saw more of Ash's real life. Uh, Gary, you alluded to that earlier, I believe. Uh, so the studio kept kind of fiddling with the film once again. And uh, like on they did on Darkman, they brought in their own editor to tweak it. As a result, several cuts of the film came in at various lengths. There was a 96-minute cut, an 81-minute cut, and the eventual theatrical cut, which came in at about 87 minutes. Uh, basically, everything what, what Universal wanted was that everything that wasn't related to the central plot, uh, everything that wasn't related to the Deadites, was cut, including a romantic scene between Campbell and Davids. They cut all that out. They even cut out a scene where, where Ash goes back to Duke Henry and that explains why Duke Henry shows up to, to aid him in the end. So in the theatrical cut, he just shows up for no good reason. Like, there's no reason that he should be on Ash's side to come back and and help Lord Arthur, who is his, you know, enemy. enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, they cut out the scene that explains why he would come back. Now, the editor on this film, uh, I guess we should mention, was Bob Murowitz. Remember, Bob Murowitz was the guy who helped them to recut Darkman after oh, the okay. studio was like, we're fucking done with this. Bob Murowski did not get a credit on that film but he did help sam raimi and rob taper edit it nice the other editor on this film is roc sandstorm how's that for a name oh, i was gonna um, say that might take the award roc sandstorm is a pseudonym for mr sam raimi oh uh, I, don't, I don't know where <laughs> that name came from or why he decided to use that name but if you watch this film and you see edited by it says bob murowski and roc sandstorm uh it's bizarre. He only used that pseudonym one other time in his career, and that was on The Man with the Screaming Brain, which was Bruce Campbell's directorial debut that came out in 2005, because uh, he 
co he had a co-story credit on that one. He didn't write the screenplay, but co-story credit. And that co-story credit is credited to ROC Sandstorm on that film as well. I wonder if that was his magician name like when he was doing <laughs> ROC Sandstorm. That's that. That's a good magician name. It's a good name. I mean, if you Google it now, you're, there's a band named Rock without the, you know, the periods. It's just ROC, like the word Rock Sandstorm. There's a band out there under using that name now, which is a pretty great name for a band. Nice. Honestly, yeah. We, I mean, can we use weird. some of their music in this episode? No problem. I mean, if they let us. We can ask him. It's freaking <laughs> nuts that like some of you know when did that band form? Like nerds were already on this stuff, you yeah. know, like <laughs> yeah. they picked up on little weird details like this. Well, adding to that editing drama was once again this is a recurring theme. I feel like on Sam Raimi's films, the MPAA, the Motion yeah. Picture Association of America, they originally gave the film an NC seventeen rating for a fi- for a shot where a female deadite is killed early in the film. And I think that that's the scene in the pit where he's fighting the two, he has the two different deadites that he's fighting. One's like a normal looking deadite, you know, with just a, like a human with the white eyes and stuff. And he cuts her head off in the director's cut of this. He cuts her head off. And then there's like a blood splatter across the thing, which is very, honestly, very tame, even for an R rated movie, because you don't actually see her head get chopped off. You see the blood splatter and you see the head fall. That's it. I don't know how the MPAA thought that was a an NC-17 worthy kill, <laughs> you know, not to mention that the rest of this movie, the violence is like Monty Python and the Holy Grail level. I was going to say violence. cartoony. The it's word cartoony, cartoony comes to mind. <laughs> and when they when, when they asked them, like, what what do we need to cut? What to get an R rating? The MPAA was just like, it's just kind of the overall vibe. Of this movie, oh, <laughs> they're like, well, you. no, you can't say that. You got to give us a, like an actual reason, like things that we can cut out to get an R rating, uh, which they eventually did. So, Universal actually wanted a PG thirteen rating, which is one of the reasons that there were so many different edits of the film. But even after additional cuts, Raimi was still stuck with an R rating. And what's wild about that is like, if you watch this movie now, if this movie came out now, this is a PG thirteen movie, easily, Easy. yeah, easily a PG thirteen yeah. movie. There's very little profanity. There's no nudity. Oh, well, there is. There's one shot of boobies, which could easily be cut out. It's like one of the slave girls, uh, her boobs are out. But you could cut that out of the film easily really? and get PG-13. Yeah, it's very brief. I was going to say, I don't even remember it, honestly. Uh, yeah, I remember it. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> we should have we let that sit for a little bit longer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but like uh that moment land. <laughs> but you could definitely I mean this this is definitely a PG thirteen movie, but for some reason the MPAA just had it had it in for Sam Raimi. I don't know what he did to piss them off, but they they were determined to not give this anything less than an R rating. Such a nice fun loving guy. Right? Yeah. I know. Even I don't get it. Anyway, even the monsters are not scary. They're goofy, cartoony monsters. I mean, you got skeletons. The scariest thing is the possessed witch, which is even not that scary. Uh, and I mean, he's going to make Drag Me to Hell like later, and it's more violent than this, I think. Oh yeah, and it's P- and it's PG thirteen. Mm, you know, but at this time, I don't know for some reason. I don't. I don't get it. It's silly. The MPA is stupid. Anyway, that's a that's a whole another episode. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, there's another twist in this whole post-production drama. When the film was getting close to the finish line, 
it became an unexpected pawn and a power struggle between Dino De Laurentiis and Universal Pictures. So they wanted to do these reshoots, right? Uh, Universal wanted to do these reshoots. They uh, they were making Sam Raimi do these reshoots, but he also didn't have the money to do these reshoots. He needed another $3 million to do these reshoots. And Universal, despite mandating the reshoots, were not willing to give him the money to do it. Uh, and they held up the film's release because they were actually, at the time, in a dispute with Dino De Laurentiis over, of all things, the character of Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> so Silence of the Lambs had been released a year earlier. It was released in 1991. We all know Silence of the Lambs. It was a huge hit. It yeah. Oscar nomination. You know, critics loved it. Audiences loved it. One of the biggest hits of 1991. Well, Universal was eager to make a sequel to Silence of the Lambs, but Dino De Laurentiis actually owned the rights to the Hannibal Lecter character because a few years earlier, he had produced Michael Mann's Manhunter, which is the first on-screen appearance of the character played at that time by Brian Cox. The matter was eventually resolved, uh, although the resulting sequel would not come out for nearly a decade. It was Hannibal, directed by Ridley Scott. That was released in early 2001, so literally a decade after Army of Darkness is being filmed. Uh, and it, that in that film, if you watch Hannibal, it's co-produced by Universal and Dino De Laurentiis. So they worked it out somehow. What if Dino De Laurentiis had been a real bitch and been like, you know what? I'm going to have Ash seek advice from Hannibal Lecter. We're going to do the reshoots. We're going to do the reshoots. Hannibal Lecter is going to show up in Army of Darkness. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, this whole fiasco hurt Army of Darkness, which was supposed to be released in the summer of 1992. But by the time the whole Hannibal Lecter thing was resolved, the film had been delayed to the following February. February, of course, is not exactly fertile ground for theatrical releases. Uh, and this hurt the film's box office chances. Yeah. Uh, this, I mean, this film would be perfect for a summer release. It's a summer movie. It's a fun movie. It's a movie that people, you know, it's, it's, an, it's a, like I said, it's an, adventure film it's the exact kind yeah. of movie that would fit in alongside i don't know like an indiana jones movie yeah you know? like yeah. this is that same kind of fun uh it's not a february release kind of movie and what, what's worse about that is just how much it screws up with everybody screws up everybody else like bruce cable yeah. talks about being how he wasted a year of his life having to wait on this movie to get released yeah, it's the biggest role of his career, and he's waiting, sitting around on it, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for it to actually come out. And then, of course, adding to the confusion was the title, Army of Darkness. Now, I don't know why they used that film, as opposed to just Evil Dead 3 or the long-rumored title Medieval Dead, which I think is a great title. I've always yeah. thought Medieval Dead should have been the name of this film. Uh, we mentioned earlier that, that the idea or the name of Army of Darkness was an idea from Irvin Shapiro. So yeah, it could have been like, we're honoring our friend because he had passed away by using his title, but I think they could have done like evil dead three and then colon army of darkness. That would have been yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, it would have been, been awesome. worked much better. It would have still used the title army of darkness and it would have been less confusing, confusing to audiences who many of which may not have known that this was a sequel to something else or the people that were fans of the evil dead movies didn't know that this was an evil dead movie. Yeah. I read somewhere that it was a mandate from 
like it was back when remember when i was talking about they almost did like the reshoot of the whole first part of the movie or something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like they wanted this movie to stand separately and the studio somehow mandated i don't know how much of this is true but that the studio wanted it to stand separately or something so that's why they ended up going it's with a, army of you, darkness you bankrolled a sequel the the, the second sequel uh, in a series of movies a third film in a series why would you tell them they can't use the name of the original film that doesn't make any sense from a from just from a business standpoint i saw that sense. dino apparently released it in the uk as like army of darkness the medieval dead that's which is fine you know i think anything that you just put the the name evil dead in there like yeah it doesn't make any sense to not use that it, it's just asinine like why do you think that's going to help the chances of the film at all people no. are going to i mean the very beginning of the movie is a recap of the previous two movies right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they're hiding the fact that this is a sequel anyway the film came out and it was a i was a modest success it wasn't even it was barely a success it made a little bit of money uh bruce campbell in some interviews said like it cost 13 million it made 11 million uh that's not quite right uh it made about 21 million 21 and a half million worldwide on a budget of about 11 or 12 million uh which is not exactly a blockbuster uh it that means that it made its money back and then made a very small profit for everyone involved so it was not a big hit uh until it came out on video later down the line uh, the film though when it came out it did divide critics and audiences casual fans seemed to enjoy it although a lot of them didn't know it was a sequel uh, and a lot of hardcore horror fans felt that this this softer, sillier film, uh, which settled for an R rating instead of being released unrated like its predecessors, they kind of saw it as a sellout. Like Sam Raimi was selling out and not making the kind of movie he'd made before because this is, like I said, it's not a horror movie. It really isn't. That doesn't sound like a nerdy f- film fan at all. That sounds like the kind of film <laughs> fan that might need a nap. What do you think, Gary? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's always... No matter no matter what movie we talk about, and I thought I thought maybe this movie is just going to be rated by super fans, but no. Turns out everywhere you look, somebody needs a nap. All right, uh, so Rob VK, you're going to get uh, your one-star review read just because of the title alone, because I always appreciate the people that do this. The title of his review is army of dumbness <laughs> <laughs> this movie was absolutely the dumbest horror movie ever made i suggest for anyone who thinks this is scary to watch the exorcist then you'll really get the hell scared out of you i have to admit though that this movie did make me laugh and nobody could have made it better than bruce campbell this movie might have made it bigger if it was located in the comedy section of the video store thanks for your one star review rob <laughs> um, how many of these are going to be negative because this movie is not as scary as they think it should be? Oh, I don't know. Let's check the next one. Uh, here's uh, what's our <laughs> review from Duke. He says, a movie for five-year-olds. This movie's so bad, it's very little to say. This movie should not have been originated unless you're soused out of your mind. Army of Darkness should not be billed as a horror movie at all. It should be in the mindless section. That's two for mi- two. Yeah. Two for two. The mindless section doesn't exist, Duke. Yeah. Have you ever been to a video store guy? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Quick reviews too. Says uh one star. A movie so bad it makes B movies look like Oscar winners. Where to begin? Well, first let me say that this had to be the worst movie to ever defile my TV screen. I wasn't expecting much of this movie, but this film went lower than what I expected. 
How can a great actor like Bruce Campbell star in a movie like this? The entire movie is boring. A guy travels back in time. He has to retrieve a book called the Necronomicon, in quotes, like they're like being real snarky about it. Like you didn't watch any of the other fucking movies that yeah, Bruce or, Campbell's known for. Or you've never heard of H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> uh, then a 20-minute boring and pointless battle between the living and the dead begins. Also, how can a movie like this be featured under the genre of comedy? Huh, they must have seen it under comedy. There was not one funny scene in the movie. Not once did I burst out with laughter or even snicker at the film's comedic material. Overall, this movie is a waste of time for me and a waste of both time and money for the production crew. This movie gets a sad one star. So this guy w- thought it wasn't funny enough. Yeah. Thought that it wasn't <laughs> scary enough. Wow. Can't um, please anybody. No. Rob says, uh, one star, uh, this has got to be one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah! <laughs> I hold both Evil Dead 1 and 2. Uh, but Army of Darkness is a complete disappointment. I wasn't surprised I didn't like it. Look at the other trilogies that are ruined by the third movie. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. That's the only example he gives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really could have gone... <laughs> Sam Superman, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> if uh, you wanted to get real personal about it, Army of Darkness is not funny at all. Maybe to a six-year-old kid or something. Maybe Bruce Campbell had some good one-liners in Evil Dead too, but he's not really a comedy type person. This movie is just a poorly done, ugly, especially the girl he falls in love with. That's wow. why I picked That's this. So I was like, Jesus, dude, That's really mean. I mean, she does <laughs> get ugly, you know. <laughs> And Bruce calls uh, her out on it. Hey, yeah, honey. so maybe that's what he's referencing. Bruce could get better than that, especially in a movie. Whoa, wait a minute. Nope, don't think so. He's so cool. Bruce could get better than that, especially in a movie. What? They didn't have enough money for better actors or something? Roger Ebert gave this movie one star, which I think is generous. Ebert's not always right, but this time he is. I suggest you read his review, too, because I agree with most of it. If you haven't seen Army of Darkness at most, I suggest you read it. Otherwise, you shouldn't waste any money at all on it. Wow. <laughs> Let's go to... Uh, sorry, I'm trying to narrow some of these down. Two cents plus. So they're giving their two cents plus more, apparently. Extra um, cents. Yeah. Um, half star. This is a very, very bad movie. Only fit for very, very stupid children. I am so glad to have finally reached the end of the Evil Dead trilogy because, my goodness, these movies are absolutely repulsive and dreadful in every way, and I am certain I got dumber by watching them. I just cannot understand who would enjoy watching something so goofy, campy, cheesy, let alone enjoy and like it afterwards. I guess this is camp for straight men, but who would want that? These movies are so little about their female characters. They recast Ash's girlfriend three times. And the only reason I notice is because Bridget Fonda played her the third time. The mythology of these films makes so little sense. You'd think it would have become part of the Scientology religion by now. The acting is abysmal. That is hard to believe that it's what it, wait. It's hard to believe that one of the major actors would be a part of the best picture winner a couple of years later. The effects truly belong in a Looney Tunes short. They are so bad and so juvenile. I hated this movie. I hate this series. And now I question the taste of any friend of mine who ever told me they liked any of these movies. Imagine going through your life where you just don't know how to have fun. Uh, And then finally, T. 
T says, what can I even say? Chauvinistic slapstick action movie garbage. I hate to be an original movie purist, but it's insane to me how quickly this franchise lost its way. And no one is allowed to call this camp. It's not camp. It's literally just bad. Most of all, I loathe the transformation, if you could even call it that, more like of a retcon, uh, of Ash, from mild-mannered, sensitive, mostly passive protagonist to a quippy, quippy self-righteous male power fantasy. I think this is just something that's tipped me over the edge, but I am so sick of this shit. I am so sick of women in movies being expendable objects to be fucked or killed, sexually assaulted, tossed aside, and replaced. I am so sick of men watching themselves be angry and mean and rude and powerful with no consequence but praise and glory. This is just misogyny and bad comedy and cool practical effects. That's all I could possibly say for it. Wow. Um, T, T needs a nap. Big yep. time. Yeah. <laughs> T needs a nap. Oh, <laughs> uh, Lord. Uh, that I don't even know what to say about that one. This movie is not misogynistic. I mean, not there's there's only uh, there's very few female characters in it. Yeah, I mean, I get that you know Sam Raimi doesn't write strong female characters. We know that, um, but it's 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 weird because like uh, there's a part of me that can kind of understand that like if you look at you know, if if you look at the female lead in this movie, I suppose like in Beth, like she she does kind of she's just kind of there for like she doesn't have a lot of uh what's the word i'm looking for uh like substance a, yeah substance, substance. Like, uh, um she just you know she's just there give me some sugar baby and she does yeah. it and like and it's but it's made for comedy so like uh, for yeah. me it doesn't i'm not taking any of this seriously like it's the fun like trope of a bad action movie guy like it's right. uh ash is bad at everything and he's just good at killing the evil dead that's like yeah. <laughs> what his character is i don't know yeah. yeah i don't here's the thing like if you've been listening for listeners of this show who've been listening for a long time or since the beginning then you, you know that like a lot of times when we get to this part of the show we like to especially me i like to analyze the movie that we're talking about like to really like dig into them try to find the deeper meaning that the directors are maybe hiding in their films uh, this is pretty common in genre movies, especially, you know, like horror, sci-fi. The filmmakers will often use genre trappings to smuggle in social commentary or whatever else they kind of want to say using the kind of traditional tropes of those genres. Right. It's part of the fun of watching these types of movies. I mean, go back and listen to some of our James Cameron episodes, uh, some of our George Romero episodes, or, you know, pretty much all of our Paul Verhoeven episodes. You can really dig into what he's trying to say with those movies because they're all satires. The Wachowski yeah. movies, yeah. Uh, but Sam Raimi doesn't care about that, at least not <laughs> not with this movie. He's an, inter an entertainer. I mean, that's why we call yeah. this uh, the, the series Sam Raimi, the entertainer. That's not to say that he won't sometimes put in bits of commentary in his films, but first and foremost, he wants an audience to go to his movies and have a good time. Yeah, And that's it. That that's his end goal. That somebody walks out of a movie, movie saying, "Hey, that was fun." Yeah. That that's all he wants from it. So, yeah. in the case of Army of Darkness, and this kind of speaks to especially that last review, there is no deeper meaning. The, this is just an hour and a half of pure entertainment. That's what Sam Raimi's going for, and that's what he gives us. And I think he one hundred percent succeeds in that. Yeah. 
it's it's yeah. a tough thing in the world to like when you're when there's so many things how do I want to say this like there's so many things you want to fix in the world like there's there's obviously situations where like uh racial groups or or gender groups or members of certain communities or something are misrepresentative or mis uh, misrepresented or mistreated in art or popular art i should say that like people have learned to like get you know i, I don't even want to use the term woke right because it's been like so like uh weaponized or something but um that you get and i'm not i'm not trying to drag this into the gutter here but like basically like people want to get um woke and they want to defend things they want to like make things better for uh these communities that that i guess what i'm trying to say is like sometimes i feel like also you can get so defensive that you uh you get overly defensive does that make sense right exactly i think i mean that yeah trying to find representation and stuff is not a bad thing at all but what some reviewers like that last one that you read gary they're they're really digging to find something wrong with this movie as far as representation goes i mean they're talking about female representation that they overlook the fact that like this movie is just a lark that's what this movie is this movie is not trying to like it's not trying to provide commentary on anything it's just a bunch of folks out in the desert having fun making their silly little ray harryhausen tribute i was literally yeah. i was literally listening to a uh a, a podcast the other and it might have been like billy corgan's 33 podcast that's out right now and he was explaining a song or something i was like god dang billy corgan you got like some deeper shit you're thinking about during this good for you and and I was like, I wonder about like uh, I don't know who would be the people, you know. Like obviously the Beatles have songs that mean a lot, but I think they also have songs that they're just like they have a Whoa. song called "I Want to Hold Your Hand." You know yeah. what that song's about? Fucking wanting to hold somebody's hand, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, do do people ever, you know? I was like, I wonder how many artists or you know, like like musicians or filmmakers or something have people come up to them and like, I got this out of your movie, and and they're just like. Fuck man, I don't know. Like, I was sure. I mean, movie. if that's what you get out of, hey, it, you know what? You Great. Yeah. I'm glad you got that. Yeah. <laughs> Good and, for uh, you. <laughs> and then I watched Army of Darkness right after having this like thought process in my mind, and I was like, oh, we're talking about one right now. Like Sam Raimi never seems to have like some deeper analytical thing you need to go through with right, which is his stuff. prerogative as an artist. The Wachowskis are very much the opposite. Like they like to, they they like to for their movies to say something but in an army of darkness like the armies of the dead aren't some kind of like metaphor for something else you know uh Raimi just thought it would look cool to have skeletons marching across a battlefield and he was right that right. it does look cool uh yeah. the, the setting this in the 14th century doesn't hold some like deeper significance about like the dangers of technology or anything like that Raimi just thought it would look cool to blow shit up in a medieval setting and he was right <laughs> That's, you know army of darkness is just fun it's pure unadulterated fun it's silly it's campy and it features i think both Raimi and bruce campbell like at the height of their powers mm. and, and and it's almost like i mean I, i'm sure that there are people out there that look at a guy like ash and they're like 
he's who I want to be. Like, I want to be as cool as Ash. And I I mean, there are cool aspects to Ash, but part of yeah. Ash also is that he's a doofus. He's an idiot. <laughs> so, so I think a lot of people also realize that. Like, he is not how the real world works. Like, somehow, no. when it comes to deadites, this guy is like the studliest stud that ever studded. Right. But the rest of his life, he, st- he works he's in housewares S- at S-Mark. <laughs> yeah, yep. he's the S-Mark guy. <laughs> so, he's got Not that there's that. anything wrong with working at S-Mart or Kmart or Walt. Well, Kmart I'm just saying he's exist. nothing special outside right. of, you know, like not, not, he's not an action hero normally. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's so. just, just a dude who happened to find out that he's good at killing deadites, which is not something that most people can probably relate with. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It just, uh, he's the character that this thing went with. And it's not yeah. for any like uh, negative or uh, nefarious reason. It's just that, Bruce Campbell is Sam Raimi's buddy, and yeah, he's, he's the actor. Friend. And Sam Raimi's the director. And he's yeah. like, I want they, to give my buddy work. And this is- when they started this franchise, Sam Raimi didn't have a lot of choices on who he was going to cast as the lead. It was his friends. That yeah. was his. And Bruce Campbell happens to be one of his friends who is also a just well of charisma. <laughs> he got lucky in that. His and one hey, of his his best friend could have been a shitty actor, and then this franchise would have gone nowhere. And by the way, when they get the chance to retell this story, it's a totally badass strong female that does it. So it's that's exactly right. And and now this series has been about obviously Sam Raimi <laughs> and Sam Raimi's career, but this Army of Darkness is as much Bruce Campbell's movie as it is Sam Raimi's, I think. I mean, we all know and love Bruce Campbell. Uh, We're all huge Bruce Campbell fans, but at the time of Army of Darkness, he wasn't quite the cult icon that we've come to know. Like, if you look at his credits, after Evil Dead 2, he made Maniac Cop 1. He made, and then a few years later, Maniac Cop 2, although, spoiler alert, but he dies, like, very early on in Maniac Cop 2, so he's he's not really the, the lead there. Uh, he made Intruder, which we talked about. He made a movie called Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat, which is a Western in which Campbell plays Van Helsing and hunts a vampire that's played by David Carradine. And I promise that movie is not nearly as good as that description would be. I was going to say, gonna say that sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is great on paper. It is not great in execution. The movie did not. I think it went straight to video, maybe. And he did a few other movies within those years, most of which you probably haven't even heard of. Uh, but it was Army of Darkness that really kind of set him on the road to the B-movie legend, the cult movie legend that he is now. Uh, I mean, it wasn't long after Army of Darkness that he was cast as the lead in uh, the TV show The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. And that's a role that he won largely because of his performance in Army of Darkness. The yeah. producers on that, uh, Carlton Cuse, who co uh, was one of the co-showrunners on Lost, uh, he saw when Bruce had Bruce came to him, he didn't really know who Bruce was. And then he watched Army of Darkness and he he cast him after watching him in Army of Darkness. So nice. this was kind of like the yes, he had he had already worked for over a decade at this point as a professional actor, but it was this movie that like turned Bruce Campbell into like all caps Bruce Campbell, like the guy that we know now. Right. And my point my point in saying that is that. This is a movie, I think, that really showcases what makes Bruce Campbell so great. I mean, it's his physical comedy. It's his his smarminess, that kind of smart-ass persona that he yeah. has, his comic timing. 
this is the version of Bruce Campbell that people think about when people talk about Bruce Campbell. Like if you mention Bruce Campbell, this is the version they think about, whether it's this character or just his real life persona. Cause like I said earlier, he is, I think the Ash is as close to Bruce Campbell's actual personality as any other character he's ever played. Not, yeah. the, not the, the fact, I mean, not the fact that Ash is a dumbass. I don't think, I don't think Bruce Campbell, I think Bruce Campbell is very intelligent in real life, but I'm talking about like his kind of like snarkiness. Uh, that's very Bruce Campbell. So he's kind of playing himself here in a way. And that's the appeal of Bruce Campbell from this point going forward is that most of the time you're seeing Bruce Campbell kind of play into those strengths that were really kind of first seen here. Because if you watch those earlier movies, including Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Intruder, Maniac Cop, he's not really playing this type of character. But after this, this is kind of what he does for yeah, most of his career. And not always is like, and not always is, uh, uh, some kind of upstanding best person in the room kind of way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. he's, he's making fun of also that type of character. Like, yeah. he's, um, so I don't know. I just remember that he was going to be in John Carpenter's vampires and I don't know mm -hmm. why something, some scheduling wise messed it up. I like probably did like Mikhail's Navy or something at that point. <laughs> and, um, anyway, so we got like Stephen Baldwin instead or yeah. whichever, not, a, not an even trade. No, no, whatever Baldwin no. we got. <laughs> <laughs> None of the Baldwins would be an even tra trade for, for Bruce Campbell, I don't think. Not even Alec. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. First you want to kill me. Now you want to kiss me. Blow. Was this your introduction first to... time watching it yeah, I never <laughs> yeah. Seen... No. was this your introduction to the evil dead franchise or had like when you first saw this movie had you seen part one and two i don't know if i had i didn't remember no. i don't i don't think i i mean this is definitely the movie that i knew the reason i went back to evil dead was because of ash and just right. like thinking it's funny and just like I'm pretty yeah, sure this is the first one I saw. I mean, probably the first Sam Raimi movie I saw, but because I, I saw this, uh, I was in high school. So like maybe five years after this movie came out, it's probably when I saw it uh, on video, you know, rented a VHS or whatever. But I don't know that I had seen Evil Dead 2. And I don't even know that I knew that this was an Evil Dead movie when I saw it until I saw that like opening montage. Uh, but this is definitely the first one I saw. Uh, and it led me to the others and led me to the rest of Sam Raimi's movies. Yeah, I, I came from a very, um, I mean, we've discussed it here numerous times, a uh, very religious background. So I don't think this is this would have been something that my parents would have been okay with me bringing home or seeing. But I definitely recall walking through the local video store and seeing this very iconic image. Oh, that that, that cover is so good. The yeah. poster cover that like very uh, Frenzetta-esque. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think this may have been my introduction to it. And uh, then I kind of went backwards. It was like, yeah. oh, these, this is a sequel. Let me go check out the others. And I think a that, lot of people, especially our age, came to it that way because we would have been too young for the yeah. first two when they, when they were initially released on video. Yeah. I mean, this movie is one that I watched like all the time as a teenager. I mean, I've owned, I don't know how many. Uh, versions of this on various video formats over the years, <laughs> like everything from VHS to DVD and Blu-ray, and now I've got it in 4K. Uh, well, it's fucking his his badass lines and stuff. It makes it hard. Uh, it's not good against the argument that I was making earlier, but like it's just like I mean, for a teenage dude. Oh like, yeah, 
all all his fucking lines and stuff the you know hell to the king and all that stuff yeah. and like this sure. is my boob stick and everything there were so many like infinitely quotable lines oh this is one of the most quotable her. movies of all time i think yeah i mean it sure. is like this is the you know the primitive screw heads this is my boomstick. that whole monologue is amazing yeah give me some sugar baby you know that's that's one uh my favorite is honey you got real ugly that's my favorite <laughs> yeah. movie just because bruce campbell's delivery and that's the case with a lot of these lines is that a lot of them wouldn't pack the same punch coming from anybody but bruce campbell it just works because of his delivery you know there's a reason i think that the title at the beginning of this movie when you watch it isn't just army of darkness it's bruce campbell versus the army of darkness it feels like this is sam like sam raimi constructed this movie completely just as a way to showcase bruce campbell's talents it's, it's they, like he knew that he had a larger canvas and a larger budget and a bigger audience so he's like i'm going to use this opportunity to introduce my very talented friend to more people the, yeah. it literally like i mean in the commentary that that comes up you know that when that appears and bruce campbell mentions how silly it is he's like it's so weird like it's bruce campbell versus army it's not even ash versus army of no, he's, he's, bruce, campbell. bruce campbell <laughs> and uh and sam Raimi's says like you know like hey I, we felt like anybody that was coming from the other movies to watch this this is what they were here for yeah since they wanted to make sure they're getting bruce campbell versus, bruce the campbell army versus that's army all they cared about and that's that's kind of like relates to my you know what i was saying earlier about how this is really a bruce campbell showcase and he's really almost playing like a version of bruce campbell uh so sam raimi wanted to show bruce campbell doing what he does best which is being smarmy and kind of getting beat up a lot <laughs> because because yeah. bruce campbell getting beat up is one of the best things about this movie and he gets beat up a oh, lot in this yeah. movie. I mean, we've talked about how <laughs> Sam likes to like torture him, but God Almighty! And this, I texted you guys when I was watching rewatching it last <laughs> night or night before. And I was like, somebody should make a YouTube montage of just every time Bruce Campbell falls down or hits his head in a Sam Raimi movie, because yeah. just like one sequence in this alone, it's my favorite sequence in this movie. One of my favorite sequences in movies. Period uh, is the sequence where. He, he eventually ends up in the windmill. Uh, he hits mm -hmm. his head 15 times in that scene. But the sequence starts uh, with, like, Ash on horseback. He's running from the, the that force, that POV force shot, like we've seen in the other Evil Dead movies. You know, it's following him, knocking over trees and stuff. Eventually, yeah. he falls off or gets off of his horse. I can't remember. And he's running. And then he, like, falls down a hill. The camera fo follows him. And it's clearly Bruce Campbell tumbling down this hill. Yeah. And then it eventually ends up with him running in the windmill. And I love the way that sequence is shot because the way the camera, like it's kind of shaking a little bit and it zooms in on Bruce's face and zooms in on the door as the, the force outside hits it. It's just really cool. The way that Raimi constructs that scene. And then of course that whole sequence ends up with, we've got the little tiny ashes that pop out of the mirrors. Uh, they torture him for a little while, which, causes him to hit his head several more times on this like piping that's hanging from the ceiling. One of those little guys jumps into his mouth that turns into a second head on Ash's shoulder, which is really yeah. silly looking and very fake looking, but that's part of what I love about it. Uh, and then he's like fighting it, which obviously this is just Bruce Campbell fighting himself kind of like he did in the last Evil dead movie. And then right. eventually that extra head splits off into another body and that turns into the movie's main adversary evil ash all of this this is like a multiple sequences 
all strung together for, I don't know, it's a good 10 minutes of the movie probably. And it's just 10 minutes of Bruce Campbell doing what he does best, which is physical comedy uh, and some just regular comedy. Like he's talking to himself, you know, the little goody two shoes and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all in this scene. Yeah. Uh, And it's just that scene alone is like, one of the best things I think that Sam Raimi's ever done. One of the best things Bruce Campbell's ever done. Uh, it's a lot, like I said, it's a lot of Bruce Campbell getting beat up, but it is just mind blowing that that all happens within one, basically one sequence. Yeah. Can- I mean, going back to going back to evil dead Two with him hitting himself with the dishes and doing a yeah. flip in that kitchen. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, yeah. They just cranked it up. It is. It's like it's this. like that. It's like that, but like, yeah, with the volume turned up. Yeah. Do you, so, what, somebody you in guys... the uh, somebody in the special features I remember was talking about the dish scene. They were like, I, I loved that. Like, uh, Sam would be like, "Hey, Bruce, uh, I like the plate smash. Do it. Do it. Let's do like five in a row. Smash those plates." <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I don't think we're going to be able to use that. Okay. I just wanted to see. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any favorite sequences or scenes from Army of Darkness? Mm. It's a lot to choose from because there's a lot of great stuff going on. I, I think I think I really dig the Hail to the King. That, like at the very end? Yeah, I dig that, that moment. Line. That's more yeah, of a moment, not a scene. It's a moment, yeah. Um, I, it's, I really dig the... I like the I also the, like the, the uh, building the building of the hand. Yeah, that's that's um, really good. That's it's kind of a play on the montage from part two. Yeah, puts the puts the you know creates the uh, chainsaw hand. But it's it's funny to me because as I was watching it, it made me think a lot of like Iron Man and like even some of the angles and some of the lighting. I was like, this this is you know giving me some Iron Man vibes right here. <laughs> this is pretty cool. <laughs> I liked, uh, I mean, obviously I always liked that opening uh, sequence, the monologue. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, just from there on. Um, and uh, gosh, I don't know. Um, I love I mean, the fight in the pit the, with the pit. I was going to say, I hate it. that it's in the beginning, but like the first half hour of this movie is just unbeatable. Like yeah. it's just, it's yeah. just a lot of fun. And uh, so you can argue like the rest of it, I think, but it's, it's, uh, I don't know. But then I say that, and then that I'm final, like, the... but that final siege with all those skeletons, like there are so many like great little moments in there. And when Ramey and, and Murawski were editing it, Murawski took like the first two thirds and then the battle was Sam Raimi. So Sam Raimi, he's like not an experienced editor. So he's taking all these like, oh man, we took these cool, we had the, shot this cool footage of skeletons blowing up. We're going to just, keep showing skeletons blowing up and he's just like having fun because he doesn't really have the, as an editor, doesn't have the discipline to not show every skeleton getting blown up. But to me, right. that just makes the, that last <laughs> sequence that much more fun. There's yeah. one moment that I love that I think it's when evil Ash is converting, like killing Sheila. Um, and the camera kind of pans up. It's like the two of them on this kind of hill and the camera pans up and you just see this like, countless skeletons and stuff in the background it shows like how big his army is yeah it's a great great special effect it's really cool i think i i think uh evil ash is also just like such an awesome design like yeah it's cool i love that design but uh i did want to mention too i I, i'm not giving enough love to the middle of the movie i guess the forgetting the words uh uh 
after the windmill scene. Like, oh, the whole the, the whole like uh, graveyard sequence. Harada. <laughs> yeah, necktie. Which, by the way, those words if we haven't mentioned Nickel. it. It's an N word. <laughs> it's definitely an Edward. Glad they didn't take that further than that. I know, could have gone, gone in the wrong direction. Uh, those words, by the way, we haven't mentioned it yet, but they're from the day the earth stood still. Yeah. The original day. That, oh, yeah, that was yeah. I think I that. did see that. Yeah. Uh, and also Evil Ash was played by uh, Chris Doyle, who was the, well, I will, I, he was played by Bruce Campbell, obviously, in the in the dialogue scenes, but where like Bruce and, and Evil Ash are fighting, Chris Doyle, the stunt coordinator, put on the evil Ash costume, and he he plays him in those scenes. Nice. Yeah. So Army of Darkness, I mean, to me, I think Army of Darkness might be the most rewatchable of the Evil Dead films. There's still something about part two that I, I like a little bit better, maybe, just because I like the combination of horror and and comedy, although it's, it's really close between the, this one and that one, because this one is just so much fun i mean it's got all those classic one-liners campbell's performance tons of references to older movies i mean you've got ray harryhausen is obvious the three stooges is obvious but it references you know the marx brothers and like all all kinds of stuff for Uh, sure and on the surface i think it does feel like an odd way to conclude the evil dead trilogy like it's very <laughs> unconventional yeah. uh, with, a, you know, this movie that started, it's th- this franchise that started as one where, where Stephen King called it the most ferociously original horror film of the year, you know? And then by the third film, it's just, it's not even trying to be scary. It's it's going in a completely different direction. It's a very odd trajectory for the franchise, mm-hmm. but that's not right. Ra- Raimi's not trying to scare here. Remember Sam Raimi never set out to be a horror movie filmmaker. Right. He's doing what he's always done. He's trying to entertain the audience. He's taking yeah. a movie genre that he grew up loving these, uh, you know, these sword and sandal uh, fantasy adventure films. And he's filtering that genre through his own unique style, which creates a film that I think genuinely feels unlike anything like any other movie, like any movie that came before it, any movie that came after it. This Army of Darkness is a truly unique film, and I think truly unique films are kind of a rarity, uh, which, of course, makes it a tough one to pair up for when we get to our further viewing sequence. <laughs> so do you guys have do you guys have any luck trying to figure out a good movie to pair with this for your further viewing? Well, you know, I think... Uh, with my choice, I, you know, took a step back and was just like, wait a minute, this movie is just fun. It's just so much fun. Yeah, there's some aesthetic stuff that you can kind of easily pair it with something. But, you know, in looking at some of that, which of those, you know, medieval fantasy adventure type things are just plain fun? So from 2004, written and directed by Stephen Summers. Anybody have a guess? 2004? Yeah. Not a clue. Gary? No. Van Helsing. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's fun. That's a fun movie. That's the snob in you talking, Justin. Come on. That's a that's a fun movie. If you'd have said 1999 Stephen Summers and it was the mummy, I'd be on board. 
Uh, but Van Helsing, Van Helsing. I, I do not think yeah. it's a good movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't say good. I said fun. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, Todd. But, you know, that's your that's your double feature. That's what you are right, watching at home. So right. I don't have to be there for it. <laughs> <sighs> How about you, Gary? Oh, I, I, I knew immediately, like right when I watched this, the thing I love about Ash is the thing I love about another character in cinema uh, from one of my favorite directors, John Carpenter, is like he easy money is big trouble in Little China. Yeah, he is. Uh, Jack Burton, Jack Burton and, and Ash Williams are very similar characters. Yeah, they're both I mean, they're asses. both doofuses who <laughs> somehow luck out and get the job done. They're very good at their job while not being very good at their job. If right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so they're uh, and they're both yeah. like every man. Like Jack Burton's a truck driver, and you know Ash works in retail. It's you know so they're both just like regular dudes who get sucked into a fantastical situation. Yeah. I did. I did look a little for. I uh, sorry. I thought about it a little bit more as we were talking. I, I was like, I, what would be another like good uh, double feature with it? And and Shaun of the Dead comes to mind. Like I think Shaun of the Dead could work. Um, but my my go to would be Big Trouble in Little China. But um, Shaun of the Dead's in there too. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned the Mummy earlier, which uh, I actually think would be a pretty good pairing, just because it is very very fun. It's a fun adventure movie. But uh, I mean, obviously, you could do Ray Harryhausen movies. That'd be a fun little double feature. Seeing the movies that kind of inspired this. But uh, I, I came up with two that I think I've been trying to like on these further viewing the last few episodes. I've been trying to just pick one that's like this is my definitive pick. But I've got two of them this time. One of which I think is just a fun companion piece to the entire Evil Dead trilogy, and it's a movie called My Name Is Bruce that was directed by Bruce Campbell. Of course. Uh, it's yeah. not, not a particularly like great film at all. But conceptually, it's a really fun one to watch if you've been watching all the Evil Dead movies. Because in My Name is Bruce, uh, Bruce Campbell plays a version of himself. He's living in Oregon, which is where Bruce Campbell actually lives in the Pacific Northwest. And there's this, this small town that he lives in, like demons are attacking it. And these Evil Dead fans mistake Bruce Campbell for his character of Ash and, and recruit him to fight these demons. Yeah. So really fun concept, really silly. It's a fun little movie. Uh, but the other one I wanted to mention, just because this is not necessarily a, a, a further viewing for Army of Darkness specifically, but for the Evil Dead movies. And I would have mentioned it earlier, but I had not seen it until recently because up until recently, it was very, very hard to come by. Uh, it had never been released in the United States until maybe a month ago. And it was just kind of whispered about in like cult film circles, that kind of film, you know, mm. it's a Japanese film called, let me make sure I get the full title. Correct. It is called bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell, but it is otherwise <laughs> known as the Japanese evil dead. That's how it was wow. promoted. 1995 shot on video incredibly low budget like i would say i don't know the budget of this movie if i were to guess i would say it's less than the first evil dead movie very very low budget but it's Jeez. and it's not really like plot wise it's not the same thing as the evil dead because there are no demons it's actually a ghost like a vengeful ghost that these but these people get trapped in a house and there's this vengeful ghost that is tormenting them 
but the special effects are very like lo-fi stop motion, very goopy, very gross. And it is a fun, fun movie. And it finally got released on Blu-ray about, like I said, about a month ago. And it's currently as of this recording streaming on shutter. And I would highly recommend watching it. That's where I watched it. It's like an hour and 10 minutes long. So it's very short. Uh, but if you're a fan of the evil dead movies, especially the first and second one, cause I think it, it adheres a little closer to, the tone of those movies, uh, I would definitely recommend watching Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. Uh, the main character is a bodybuilder, which is why it's called that. It makes sense. Um, although he is like <laughs> bodybuilder, not by like American. He doesn't look like John Cena. He's like, he's bulky for like a Japanese guy. <laughs> you okay. know I mean? Like he's not like <laughs> this huge, huge dude. He's bulkier than me. He's in better shape than I'm in. But uh, he's not like this big wrestler type. But yeah, it, there are some, the, the first like 30 minutes of the movie, I was like, this is just kind of like a weird little ghost story. But man, it goes off the fucking rails in the last half of that movie. <laughs> a blast. Highly recommend Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. So that's my other choice for further viewing this week. Nice. Yo, she bitch. Let's go. <laughs> well, Army of Darkness, like pretty much all of Raimi's movies that we've talked about found its real audience on home video. It was a big hit on video, even though it was only a modest hit in theaters. And that's where it became a perennial favorite of middle school sleepovers the world over, which is probably where I first saw it <laughs> in the 30 years since its release. It's gone on to become probably the most popular film in the evil dead franchise. Uh, and it turned Bruce Campbell into a bona fide B movie God, partially because like I said before, this version of Ash is the closest to Campbell's real life personality. And thanks to the popularity of the film and of the Ash character itself, the world of army of darkness continues to thrive. Uh, when the film was released, this was pretty common practice, especially back then uh, dark horse comics released an adaptation of the movie in comic book form. But over the years, there have been a, kind of absurd number of army of darkness related comic books published, including yeah. the army of darkness or excuse me, the dark man versus army of darkness comic that we mentioned back in our dark man episode, but others include army of darkness, ashes to ashes, army of darkness shop till you drop dead army of darkness versus reanimator Marvel zombies versus the army of darkness, Freddy versus Jason versus ash an Army of Darkness, Xena Warrior Princess. Why not? That's the name of the. That's the name. Of the, that's the actual title of the comic. Yeah, uh, and I love that. There's, it, I, and I've read a couple of those. I've read Ashes to Ashes and Shop to You Drop Dead, but I have not read the others. Although I really yeah. do want to read Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. I know. Uh, and there's a God. sequel to that one too. That one has its own sequel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's yeah. also an Army of Darkness role-playing game that was released in 2005. A video game that was released in 2011. And of course, there's Ash vs. Evil Dead, uh, which is a TV series that premiered in 2015. It ran for three seasons, and that show saw Bruce Campbell return as Ash to continue his fight against the Deadites. And when that series was canceled after its third season, Bruce Campbell announced officially that he was retiring from the role of Ash and that he would never play Ash again. We'll but as we know, that's not the end of the Evil Dead franchise. In 2013, uh, Fidi Alvarez directed a reimagining of the Evil Dead, which is it was it was like it was kind of promoted as a reimagining, whatever you want to call it, remake, reboot, re sequel. Uh, you know, it's up in the air. <laughs> Ramey Tapered <laughs> and Campbell produced the film, which is, you know, it is 
sometimes called a sequel to the original trilogy. Sometimes it's called a remake. Uh, I don't know what the continuity actually is. Alvarez says that it's set in the same universe. Uh, if you've watched the movie, there is a Bruce Campbell voiceover or bit of dialogue at the end of the credit. So it kind of hints that it is within the same universe. Uh, but nothing else about it feels anything at all like a Sam Raimi movie. It's a brutal film. It's really good, uh, I think, but it is considerably more brutal than the other Evil Dead movies. Have you seen it, Gary? You've seen the remake? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the remake. Yeah. Have you no. seen it, Todd? No, never huh. seen it. Yeah, it's, oh, it's wild. It's it's really, really good. I watched yeah. it not too long ago. I'd like, I haven't watched it since the theater, but I really liked it when it came out. And I, I'd like to revisit it. That's cool. And if there's a new one coming out, uh, on a, the fifth Evil Dead film called Evil Dead Rise is being written and directed by Irish filmmaker Lee Cronin. It's set to be released in theaters in April of 2023. Nice. So we still got Evil Dead movies coming along. And that one, I think, is being considered a sequel to the 2013 evil dead so i don't know where not that continuity matters at all in these movies because yeah. they, <laughs> they definitely write the own they're they rewrite the rules at the beginning of every one of them so who cares honestly yeah <laughs> well before we wrap things up here gary do you have any additional fun facts that you'd like to share with us oh boy do i I always got some fun facts. Uh, let's see. Some random things that didn't make it into the regular part of the episode. How about um, there? Uh, there is an issue of Fangoria, if you didn't know. Uh, yeah. And the car trunk. Yeah. 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 Um, it's uh, Sam Raimi showing his gratitude for the publications, uh, including the original Evil Dead when it initially premiered. They, yeah. uh, they had his back, so he backed them up um let's see here uh there was a cool story about the geyser uh that when they when he shoots the uh deadite from the pit and it falls back in or whatever there's the blood that spurts out isn't that yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. When the, whenever whenever the blood spurts all out of the thing uh uh bruce ashes bruce campbell's wife uh was very concerned uh ida ida uh yeah she ida was, here yeah. She was very concerned because uh, they didn't have like a budget that included like multiple, multiple co uh, costume changes. Oh, so no. nobody knew what was going to happen when the guys are shot up into the air. Uh, and they told her they were like, hey, a bunch of blood's about to squirt up around all these extras and all their costumes. So uh, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> and she's like, oh, Jesus, what am I going to do? Well, it's the laundering tried... budget. <laughs> yeah. No. So she was like running to set to see what happened. And luckily, when you watch it, it blows towards the back, towards the castle, and that was just the wind happened to be blowing that way. They got lucky. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and so they lucked out. It did not really hit anybody. Um, let's see here. Um, there was a funny story Bruce Campbell was telling about uh, the extras on the set during that whole uh, first first little bit at, in front of the castle when he's being led in as a prisoner and he's in like a line of people and mm -hmm. and he's like Sam Raimi's like calling out to the extras like all right your army one two three four one two you know like march yourselves in there like you're you're the army and blah 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 and um he said the guy Bruce Campbell said the guy in front of him the soldier that's nearest in front of him was just kind of like just walking along not doing anything and uh he said you know these extras they just who knows where they came from, but he said he started talking to the guy. And he was especially like, since they're non-union. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, buddy, um, you know, I noticed you're not really doing anything. Like you, 
you want to do what the director's you yeah do. he's like you gonna do what the guy's telling you over there or just like march along and then the guy was like i'm not in the army and he's like yeah i know but you you signed up for this like you do what you're doing you're like playing a part like you're a you're a soldier and like you want to march and he's like i didn't enlist and he's like okay but like you should should probably go with the story that it's a movie we're, yeah. we're doing a movie do you set. do you not understand the concept of a yeah. film <laughs> and he said the guy just like all of a sudden had this realization or something and it's just like he's like you know like you know you signed up to do what the director says like it's a movie and he's just like yeah fuck this and like starts tearing <laughs> off his mustache and his like makeup and everything throws his helmet on the ground like storms away and never comes back <laughs> yeah I think they, had a, a, they had a few extras disappear on this i think when they would just reuse the costume and find who who's this who does this fit let's throw it on that guy they uh, uh and, and sorry if this, they, oh go ahead well I, I was gonna say sorry if this uh steps on any of your other fun facts but they definitely found some some folks like fucking behind the Castle. That was what I was about to say. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely found like some extras fucking in the castle, like behind the thing, <laughs> out of the view of the lights. Yeah, they said once the once the once the night came, and the lights can only hit so much. The extras, while they're waiting around, find other things to do. Yeah, so, like each other, like each other. <laughs> uh, uh, the only other one I got is just uh, I thought it was funny that during the scene where Ash is being pelted by rocks from people. Uh, they had some fake rocks that were like foam, apparently, that they were using that people would throw. But Sam Raby was, of course, there and uh, <laughs> had potatoes and <laughs> would Jeez. throw them at Bruce Campbell's head and, uh, and hit him. And uh, now, were, uh, were the potatoes already on set or did he bring the potatoes with him? Uh, that part I don't know. I just know that, that a, uh, it was referenced a few times by different people that Sam Ray was just throwing potatoes at Bruce Campbell and uh, convinced him that that was just, this is method. This is how you do this. And, like, and it was really just like pelting him with potatoes. Uh, that's fun. <laughs> but, well, that's our fun facts with Gary. Thank you, Gary. You're welcome. So when people discuss Raimi's legacy, uh, there are, I think, I think there are two major works that will always be discussed. I think this will be the case in, when Sam Raimi dies one day and people are writing these articles about his career. The two main things that will be discussed are the Spider-Man trilogy, which of course helped usher in the current wave of the superhero movie. So it's legacy can't really be understated. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, and the, But even more so than that, I think what Raimi will always be known for is the Evil Dead films. I mean, th th they're just synonymous with Sam yeah. Raimi's name. They yeah. really, these films, more than anything else that he's done, really showcase his very unique brand of entertainment. Uh, in a single franchise, he's given us three completely different experiences, three completely unique experiences. He's given us straight ahead, intense horror. He's given us slapstick, like very cartoony over the top, you know, Looney Tunes slapstick. And he's given us a classic medieval fantasy adventure that also has bits of, you know, three stooges comedy thrown into it. Mm -hmm. uh, how many other directors can say that of a single trilogy? Like what if, what if Peter Jackson had, had tried to do the same thing with the Lord of the Rings trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> like the first one's just straightforward. And the, by the third one, it's just a, it's just, just a, off the rails, <laughs> just off the rails comedy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think his, his diversity doesn't stop with just this franchise. You know, uh, I, I mentioned earlier how 
he was taking these genres that he grew up on and filtering them through the prism of his own very unique style. Mm-hmm. And as we've discussed, he's already given us his spin on a classic crime story. He's given us the superhero origin story, uh, but he's got other genres that he wants to tackle. And with his follow-up to army of darkness, he's going to attempt to tackle one more of those. And it's the Western. Uh, of course, that's the subject of our next episode, Raimi's next foray into the world of Hollywood studio filmmaking, the star-studded 1995 film, The Quick and the Dead. Yeah. You can find it streaming. It's pretty easy to find. So uh, watch along with us. We always encourage our listeners to watch along because as Todd always says at the beginning of the show, there are always lots of spoilers on these. So we will be talking about The Quick and the Dead in depth on our next episode. Any deadites in Quick and the Dead? Mm, the Quick and the Deadites would be uh, oh, very. <laughs> would be oh, a... that's so awesome! That should that should be the sequel, honestly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for Army of Darkness, guys. I think we've uh, about covered it. I think we've about said everything you could possibly want to say about this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you know, probably some stuff people didn't want to hear. <laughs> so, so a good possibility <laughs> if they did hear things they didn't want to hear and they want to let you know about it where yep. can they find you on the internet i am at this is gary horn uh and uh we are still uh prepping for our benefit comedy show which is now going to be december 7th at coffee underground here in greenville south carolina uh for those of you who don't know uh uh, we've been raising uh, money for uh, some friends of ours, Alyssa Fowler and her family, uh, who are raising money for cancer treatments for both uh, uh, Alyssa and her daughter. Uh, there's a link to their GoFundMe. We're going to make sure folks see that. And again, if you're in the Greenville area or close by, please consider coming to Coffee Underground December 7th at 7 p.m., uh, we're going to have some really fun comedians uh, putting on a, a really great show, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So please come on out. Coffee Underground, December 7th at 7 p.m. You going to be on stage? I am going to be on stage. Oh, you haven't been be on doing stage a, in a while, have you? Yeah, I'm going to be doing a set. It's All right. Gonna be, uh, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to see if it's really like riding a bike. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well... You can find me at Justin underscore Bishop, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can also find the show at cinema underscore shop on all the normal places, plus cinemashock.net, which is where you can find all of our episodes. Links to our Discord, links to our merch, uh, pretty much everything is there on the website. And until next time, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. And be excellent to each other. I had a wonderful girlfriend, Johnny. Together, we drove to a small cabin in the mountains. It seems an archaeologist had come to this remote place to study his latest find, the keys of the dead. They were never meant for the world of the living. Hmm, I think the boomstick one would have been better. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It sounds good in my head at the time, but yeah, I should have gone with the boomstick. Yeah. (laughs) When in doubt. Yep.
Groovy. 